up, everyone? What's up, Raheem? Hope you can hear me. I've been having a couple of uh, audio issues. But welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. It is Tuesday. What is it? August 16th? Boy, oh boy, the summer's almost over. Look at that. Why well, I hope... Uh, I hope everyone got what they need to get out of the summer because it is done. We are now heading to a new age, baby, a new season, getting into fall. So we're going to see how that goes. Well, let's, let's, let's get right to it since oh, I'm echoing. Let me see. Give me a second. Let me try to figure this out real quick. Okay, am I still echoing? Good now? Okay, cool. Hell yeah, baby. Just mute it and unmute it. Um, well, welcome. Uh, let's just get right into it. So Trump's residence in Florida, in Mar-a-Lago, where he stays, uh, was raided. There's been a lot of talk going on in the media about it. Yes, it's unprecedented. Uh, there hasn't been an official raid on any past U.S. president uh, ever. Uh, the situation, kind of the, the details regarding the raid are pretty, eh. Uh, it, there's a lot of hot takes out there. I'll say that. And for good reason. Look, the FBI does not have a good track record when it comes to, uh, you know, sort of politically charged raids. Uh, they just raided a black socialist organization too, and that really didn't get as much play as this raid at Mar-a-Lago uh, for good reason, because, you know, it doesn't inspire the same sort of media cycle that Trump does. Uh, but I kind of want to go into just the some of the details of the raid, give a basic timeline of how we got here, and then kind of get past a lot of the chatter that's happening about was this raid politically motivated or what is the reason for the raid or, you know, all of this stuff. Let's just, let's just start with some of the facts as we have them. And then we'll scrutinize the actual people, the actual actors who are involved. The, you know, we could talk about some of the motivations behind it or what it could mean. Uh, but let's, let's just start with a little bit of a timeline. So it's January 20th. Trump is in office and he's leaving office. He's leaving. He goes to Mar-a-Lago. And when he goes, he takes a bunch of boxes, uh, apparently dozens of boxes of materials, a whole bunch of presidential memorabilia. Uh, you'll remember a lot of people in the news were talking about it, all the stuff that he was taking to Mar-a-Lago with him. He shouldn't have been taking some of those things, et cetera. But those materials that he took included uh, numerous boxes full of just uh, documents, many of which were confidential. Uh, and some of which, apparently, if you believe some of this reporting, which no reason not to at this point, were top secret. Um, the difference between confidential documents and top secret, uh, there's just different designations for um, documents that are confidential. They're both confidential documents, but only certain people have clearance to look at certain types of documents. So not everyone who can look at a confidential document uh, or if you have confidential clearance, you look at confidential documents, but if you have top secret clearance, uh, 
you can look at top secret documents. But if you have confidential clearance, you can't look at top secret documents. Does that make sense? Get it? Got it? Good. Uh, so Trump takes a bunch of this stuff with him for unknown reasons, really. Uh, as soon as he leaves the White House January 20th, right? Or 2021. Uh, for the next couple of months, the National Archives, which is a, a federal organization that is in charge of the records keeping for presidential records and certain types of records, uh, they basically contact Trump and say, hey, buddy, uh, so you're not, you took a bunch of stuff you weren't supposed to take. Uh, would you please give it back? Over the next couple of months, actually, uh, well, those materials also included uh, classified national security information. What classified national security information? Tough to say. We don't know yet. But apparently that's, um, those materials included that information, whatever it is. And uh, the National Archives is now in contact with Trump and the Justice Department is in contact with Trump about potential violations of the Presidential Records Act, which it's kind of, it's not a huge deal, the Presidential Records Act, and we'll get into why that is in a little bit, but let's put that off to the side, all right? So now we're in about spring of 2022, and some investigators go to interview Trump and Trump's aides uh, about the removal of documents to Mar-a-Lago. Uh, the DOJ and FBI officials uh, get to Mar-a-Lago in like June of 2022, and they're talking with Trump's attorneys and talking about the storage room where additional boxes containing these White House documents were apparently being kept at Mar-a-Lago. And Trump's attorneys basically uh, hand over some of the documents that are marked as top secret. and. Boom, bada bing, bada boom. We're in June 8th or June 22nd, this area. June 8th and June 22nd are the next big dates. Um, safe. The Justice Department, again, contacts Trump's people and says, hey, you have to secure those records that you still have. Please put a big lock on the door until further notice. Uh, apparently, Trump's organization com complies. Uh, they receive a subpoena later in June uh, for surveillance footage from Mar-a-Lago, and a subpoena is basically just a request for records, uh, and it's not really a, requ a request. It's a document that a court gives you that allows you to basically have legal authority to uh, basically compel someone to give you certain records. So in June, we're at like June 22nd, uh, the Trump Organization receives and complies with the subpoena for surveillance footage from Mar-a-Lago. And that's according to reporting in the Wall Street Journal. And I'm getting a lot of this timeline from the New York Post. So take, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, then we kind of pop into where we're at now. So August 5th, the U.S. Mag Magistrate Judge of the Southern District of Florida, Judge Bruce Reinhardt, issues a sealed search warrant for the former president's home. So what's a, a sealed search warrant? A search warrant is, uh, I'm sure most of you are familiar with what that is, but it is required for a law enforcement agency, uh, a law enforcement agency has to get a search warrant before they can go into your home when they're uninvited to search for documents, right? And a search warrant is a is a uh, assigned and approved document by the court that allows the state to have the power to investigate your home, given that they show probable cause. 
so just to be clear about how a search warrant kind of works here, you need to, an investigator, either a police officer, an FBI agent, someone who's in charge of actually the investigation of crime has to apply for one. And there's really three big parts of a search warrant. There's the affidavit of the investigating officer, and an affidavit is just a sworn statement that sets out the reason for the evidence behind the officer's knowledge of the investigation. Uh, and it's the affidavit that establishes probable cause. Um, there's an attachment, and attachment A to the search warrant just talks about what property is to be searched, the location of it. And then there's attachment B, which talks about the items which are supposed to be seized as part of that search. Okay. So if there's probable cause for a potential crime, then any magistrate judge, any judge who gets a search warrant, if there's any kind of probable cause at all, then the, the judge has to issue the search warrant. Okay. So let's get rid of hot take number one about this judge, this judge, Bruce Reinhardt, who issues a search warrant. There's a lot of talk that maybe he donated to Hillary Clinton in the past and their, uh, I don't know, in past elections. There's, uh, he did recuse himself from a matter involving Hillary Clinton's campaign or something a couple months back. Uh, I tried to look up his um, donation records online. The only Bruce Reinhardt that I saw who donated to anyone is as a Bruce Reinhardt who was always giving to Republican candidates. So I don't know about that Hillary Clinton part, but here's a, here's a, all of that is a little bit of a red herring because Bruce Reinhardt, the judge here, is not the political actor. As long as they show probable cause, then the judge really has to sign the search warrant. It's not like a discretionary thing for the judge, just so we're clear. And signing the search warrant doesn't mean that a crime's actually occurred. It just means that the officer or the investigating agency has shown probable cause uh, to determine the crime. Now, Fahim's got a question here about who makes comes up with the cause. The people who come up with the probable cause are the investigating officers. The person who determines whether or not there is probable cause or whether probable cause has been shown is the judge, right? But that's a pretty low standard. The probable cause standard is actually pretty low. Uh, it's kind of like a complaint in a civil case. As long as you can show that if all the facts that you're stating, if they were true, not that they are true, but if they were true, would there be probable cause? Would there be reason to believe a crime had been committed? So it's really an, uh, an allegation. If you can come up with a big enough allegation that's supported enough by a sworn affidavit, then you have probable cause to make an arrest, right? or to do a search. And that's the other thing, is we don't really know exactly, without this affidavit, which we'll get into, um, what the intention of this raid really was. But that's, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's go back to the, the search warrant itself. So the judge issues a search warrant, and on August 8th, 2022, this is three days after the search warrant is signed, uh, Plainclothes FBI agents search Mar-a-Lago for more than nine hours, uh, and they're concentrating on certain areas here. And I have the attachment to, attachment A to the subpoena. Uh, 
we don't need to go over the whole thing, but basically there are certain areas in Mar-a-Lago, the basement, the room where these boxes were being held by Trump and his people with these records, uh, a couple of different places in the Trump part of Mar-a-Lago uh, that are being searched. Now, when I say the Trump part, I mean the part that Trump resides in and the parts that the records were stored in. So they didn't search other guest rooms or any of that shit. They just searched Trump stuff, right? So that's August 8th. And since then, we've had just a shit show of all kinds of stuff going on. So let's talk about the probable cause aspect a little more here. Um, so you might remember that the search warrant that was issued was sealed. When a record is sealed, it means that it's usually not available to the public. Uh, the names, the dates, the filings themselves are behind a wall of privacy. Uh, now, why would you seal certain records? Well, it happens automatically for some kinds of cases. Well, not necessarily automatically, but certain information is often redacted or sealed automatically, right? Whenever you have kids involved in a case, if you have a juvenile case, uh, those names of the kids are always Jane or John Doe's, right? Because there's a certain understanding that you don't want certain information out there that's gonna harm a kid for something that happens to them or something that they did while they are a child, you don't want that to carry over into adulthood. Um, so that's one of the reasons why records might be sealed, right? Uh, another reason is if you have a lot of confidential informants or you have people who are, who by unsealing the records, uh, their lives or their livelihoods or whatever could be threatened. Uh, but it is odd. It is odd that these records are 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 sealed. I, just odd. I, I don't know if it's if it's uncommon because unfortunately this isn't my particular area. But it is a little weird, and it's weird because, uh, you know, Trump. As soon as this raid happens, apparently they're watching him and his people are watching the raid live on like some CCTV or something like that, while they're in New York. Um, so the FBI goes to Mar-a-Lago while Trump is in New York, why he's not there. They search the place, they take out a whole bunch of boxes of, of records and different things. And you can look at all the things they took out as attachment B to the, um, the warrant, the search warrant. And the search warrant, because of the hubbub that came up after this, uh, the search warrant was unsealed in part. And I have the important parts of that search warrant here. Now, if you remember, there's three parts of a search warrant, right? There's attachment B, which describes the property to be searched. I'm sorry, attachment A describes the property to be searched. Attachment B, which describes the items which are going to be seized as part of the search. And then there's the affidavit of the investigating officer. And again, the, the, the affidavit's the most important part in a way, because it really sets out the entirety of the investigating officers or the FBI's case against Trump, against whoever it's against, right? It sets out the reasons for their probable cause, the reasons why they believe certain crimes were committed. We don't have that. Uh, now the Department of Justice has, well, you have reporters who are asking, why don't we have this? The Department of Justice actually last night made a filing to the court asking that the uh, 
the affidavit remains sealed. And why is that? Uh, they're basically saying that it could potentially, unsealing the affidavit could potentially expose the identities of undercover witnesses, of moles that they may have in Trump's camp or people who are investigating Trump that Trump doesn't know about who are feeding them their information. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not that remains sealed. Uh, again, that's just what the FBI is saying. It doesn't mean that they have undercover witnesses. It just means that they're saying, well, we could put like, if we did have undercover witnesses, then they could be revealed by unsealing the affidavit. A little weird, um, but not again, not the craziest thing. And still from attachment A and B to the search warrant, we know a lot of information now. So what do we know? Well, let's look at attachment B and what they're looking for. Uh, what they're looking for in the search warrant is, quote, all physical documents and records constituting evidence, contraband, fruits of crime, or other items illegally possessed in violation of 18 USC sections 793, 2071, and 1519, including the following. All physical documents with classification markings, along with any containers, boxes, including any other contents in which such documents are located, as well as other containers, boxes are collectively stored or found together with the aforementioned documents and containers, boxes. Uh, information, including communication in any form regarding the retrieval, storage, or transmission of national defense information or classified material. Any government and or presidential records created between January 20th, 2017 and January 20th, 2021, or any evidence of the knowing altercation, uh, alteration, destruction, or concealment of any government and or presidential records, or of any documents with classification markings. Long story short, they're looking for a bunch of different classified and presidential records. A lot of these would pertain to the, uh, you know, typically you don't own your records when you're the president. When you leave, the National Archives come in, and they take those records It's part of, it's a matter of like they, you know, like American history or something. I don't know exactly why they take those records, probably for the next president and for whatever other reason. But it, it does seem a little weird that they'd just be going after Trump just to retrieve those records, right? Well, let's look at the actual code for the three things that they're charging with. That's 18 USC 793, 2071, and 1519. And this is where shit gets a little interesting, right? Uh, two of those, 2071 uh, and 1519, are about just records themselves. Uh, the concealment, removal, and mutilation of records, which is 2071. And then the destruction, alteration, or falsification of records in federal investigations, which is 1519. We can go into the details of all of that, but there's a, a legal theory, basically, that both of those depend on, on, on the records being classified or sensitive. At least that's my understanding. Uh, now, why, does that, why is that important? Because typically, uh, whether or not a document is classified or declassified is something that can happen at the sole behest of the president. Basically, something can, that is classified can just become unclassified if the president just decides, yeah, or declassified if the president just decides to do it. That's it. So it's, it does seem weird to go after, even though he's not the president anymore, it does seem a little weird 
to go after someone for declassifying records or taking classified records when at any point in time during their presidency, they could have just declassified them. But the one that's interesting to me is 18 UC 793. And that's for gathering, transmitting, or losing defense information. And this code goes by another name that you may have heard of called the Espionage Act. Now, what is the Espionage Act? Well, the Espionage Act is a son of a bitch, is really what it is. It is a, a code that's all the way back from 1917, which was supposed to prevent U.S. citizens from, or anybody really, from stealing um, uh, documents, secrets, and selling them to enemies or disseminating them to enemies, quote unquote, of the United States. Now, during the Red Scare era, this Espionage Act was used a lot. Um, it was basically used for a lot of people who dissented from U.S. He uh, hegemony, but it was also used too, on actual fucking spies. Uh, the thing that's interesting about the Espionage Act, and, and actually, you, you're probably familiar with the Espionage Act because Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning were both charged under the Espionage Act. And what's super interesting about that is that the Obama administration used the Espionage Act more than any other presidential administration. So thanks, Obama. But here's the kicker with the Espionage Act is you could still be charged under the Espionage Act even if the records are no longer confidential. Does that make sense? So the one... If, if, for example, you know, if Trump is charged or whoever gets charged from this, because it's not even clear that they're going after Trump here. They could be going after fucking whoever, which is why it would be nice to see that affidavit. Um, but if, if, let's say, they're going after Trump and Trump, it's determined that Trump has declassified all of these documents just simply by taking them with him, that by taking them with him or by, in his mind, thinking that they're declassified, they are declassified. Well, then 2071 and 1519 should probably drop out, but 793 would stay with him potentially, which is interesting. And it makes you think, well, then why are they going after him for the Espionage Act? And we could talk a lot about the whys in a bit, but I don't want to be too long-winded and it's already running a little long. I'll finish the, the legal stuff here. Uh, what's interesting about the Espionage Act in particular is it not only could it still stick with Trump if he's being charged with it, uh, it could imply that they think that he was trying to sell government secrets. Now, that seems a little crazy. I've heard a theory. I mean, some of the materials that were taken may have included nuclear code materials or uh, materials that pertain to America's nuclear capabilities, which is pretty wild when you think about it. Um, and there's some theory I heard of maybe they're trying to sell the nuclear codes to the Saudis. I, I need some hard fucking evidence of that just before we get, before we go too far with it. Not that I think that Trump is above doing something crazy, but like, I just, come on. Like he's going to send nuclear information to the Saudis. And I know he's been getting paid a lot of money from the Saudis, from like the golf stuff and the 
you know, Jared Kushner had some kind of billion dollar hedge fund deal with the Saudis, despite him having no real uh, expertise in the area. But, you know, we'll we'll get into all of that in the discussion. But, But I'll finish off by saying this. There's been a lot of back and forth now between like, you know, like Trump, the FBI, Trump accused the FBI of stealing his passports. And then the FBI said they weren't in his their possession, but it turns out they did take his passports. And some people were saying that maybe taking his passports was done because Trump is a flight risk. No fucking way. I just, I don't buy that for a second. Um, first of all, he's, he's just not that much of a flight risk. Uh, second of all, you, that's not how taking, you can't just, like the person who's in charge of the investigation, which would be the attorney general here, doesn't have the unilateral power to just seize your uh, your passports and stop you from leaving the country. That would also have to go through a judge. Uh, and then third of all, it's it like, it was probably just an accident. It was probably just, they took a bunch of boxes of shit. And part of that included, you know, they just didn't have the time to to sort through it yet. And found out that the passports were there. But it is pretty funny that uh, they actually did take the passports and uh, for as much as Trump lies and whines about shit, uh, you know, it probably wasn't a good move by the FBI to say, oh, they're not in our possession. Just to, you know, maybe put out like a our bad or something like that, you know? Um, but, you know, that's... <sighs> There's some more stuff we could talk about, but I really want to hear from y'all. Um, oh, am I still cut off? Am I still on? Or am I? Can you hear me? Everyone? Okay, let me. Okay, let me. I'm going to try to get on my internet again, too. So I may cut off for a second. So let's see. Let's see what happens. We're just waiting, waiting for the internet, baby. Just waiting for that. Okay, am I still here? Still here? We good? We good? Okay, cool. Yeah, so I I mean honestly the 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 ramifications are interesting. I've heard a lot of people say well the FBI wouldn't do this if they didn't have evidence already. Uh to me that's a bad take. That's not the purpose of a search warrant. Um a search warrant as I said before is based off probable cause. The whole point is you don't really need evidence. You need probable cause that a crime was committed. You need the the prospect of evidence that the crime was committed. Now, that doesn't mean it's a nothing burger either. Like a probable cause affidavit is a testimonial document. It is something that someone has to put a sworn statement behind. Like, you know, people say all kinds of shit sometimes in sworn statements. And, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to shit too much on the FBI, but I'm going to shit all over the fucking FBI because, you know, like they they have had some colossal fuck ups Namely, the guy who the show is named after, <laughs> if you ever uh, want a fucking an idea of what the FBI's history is. And, you know, I've also heard people say that this could be politically motivated. And wouldn't it be the first time the FBI has done something unprecedented or wild out of political motivations? I don't know if this one is as, as politically motivated now. Like, I don't think it's Joe Biden over here trying to uh, like stop Trump from being able to run. I don't know. I just don't see, I don't see that yet. And Joe Biden does not strike me as that good of a political operator, to be honest, to be frank, right? 
Merrick Garland, maybe, but uh, that's sort of why we need to see the affidavit, honestly, is to at least get the idea or the story of why the FBI feels the need to seize these documents. Like what that would tell us a lot more. And Trump has actually recently called for the unsealing of that as well, which is going to be interesting. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, and look, if there are snakes in, in Trump's camp, which I'm sure there are, uh, then yeah, I could see why he'd want those documents unsealed. And then I guess the last thing uh, is some of the political ramifications of this are just another reason I don't think it's politically motivated is because I think it's kind of it would be bad, like really bad politics. And not just like bad politics in the way of like what we're used to seeing from the Dems and Republicans and the political establishment, but like pretty easy to see how something like this could boost Trump's numbers, could make his supporters get more gung-ho about him. Uh, I mean, look, we saw the same thing after the first Ukraine, uh, the first attempt of impeachment. Right, weren't Trump's approval numbers higher than they had ever been after they tried to impeach him for that perfect, beautiful phone call he had with uh, Zelensky in Ukraine? Uh, but then again, you know, it's not like our political establishment actually learns lessons from their fuck ups, you know, <laughs> or or we wouldn't be here to begin with. We wouldn't have Joe Biden, right? So maybe I'm overestimating their competency. Um, but look. We've already seen a couple of attacks against the FBI. Um, the FBI actually, I think today or yesterday, released a, uh, a memo or a, a bulletin, some kind of warning, internal memo that got leaked to Ken Klippenstein, uh, who is hilarious. I, he's very funny on Twitter. Uh, it's hilarious that he is an investigative reporter because he is just a shit poster, and it's pretty hilarious. Uh, but he, he got a good leak from internally from the FBI, which had a warning of the increased potential for right-winged extremist violence against FBI agents post this raid. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a lot to talk about here. I know it's not the biggest thing in the world going on, but I am seeing a lot of, I'm seeing way too much, way too much speculation that seems to be outside of the facts to me. But I would, if you have some wild ass shit, some wild speculation, I'd also love to hear it. Because right now, I'm having a hard time knowing what to make of all of this. Um, there is also a, I, I think there was some reporting that Giuliani was just informed that he's under investigation as part of the Georgia investigations um, into the, uh, what's it, electioneering or election, I mean, it's not election fraud, but it's, a, I don't know, like messing, tampering uh, with the elections down there. Um, it's not impossible that these things are connected, even though they're two different departments, apparently for different investigations for different crimes. But one thing that can happen is if you get records for one crime or in one situation, um, they could be subpoenaed in a separate investigation. So by the DOJ uh, raiding Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, it's completely conceivable that the Georgia uh, courts will, uh, or the lawyers who are in charge of those proceedings will subpoena these documents and these materials or records of these materials from the DOJ. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? I'd love to hear what everyone has to say. Uh, 
but a very interesting story. I, I'll say this. I don't, <laughs> everyone keeps saying Trump is going to jail and shit. Dog, I don't see it. I just don't see it. I, I, maybe it's just because I've gotten so used to the Teflon Don stuff that I just, it's whatever to me. And plus, I just don't like, I, I, I think Trump going to jail is almost like the bullshit storyline of, and then we saved America when the problems with America are way deeper than just this one guy. And I think he's just been exposing a lot of the bullshit that we've already been doing for a long time. And I know that, you know, hot take, woo woo, but it's not that hot of a take as, as you all know. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, Amanda, what's going on, girl? Thanks for calling in. Oh, go ahead and unmute yourself. Ooh, are you able to talk? Yep. Okay, good. good. Can yes, you hear me? Okay, good. So, so I'm on my computer today and not my phone because of a bug with the app. So I, I missed my show today. I'm glad you're here. And, and I got a few, I got a few thoughts. Did you know that? Can you hear me? Hold on. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can Sorry, you hear I'm having weird audio issues. Yeah, I heard all that. I got two okay. ears to hear your thoughts, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah, that's that's very nice. So, so one of the things that this brings up to, in my mind, and I'm just going to start back in 2015 when I was at a garage sale, and there was two unopened card packs from Trump Casino for 50 cents. And I'm like, ah, oh, this will be funny. Because if Trump gets elected, then I'll have cards from that say Trump on him. Ha 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 ha. Right. Gave one pack to my friend. And then Trump gets elected in 2016. Okay, so now are these more valuable? Should I just open them? What the fuck, right? I'm thinking that I'm not Trump. I could picture Trump because he's always thinking of some scam or other, how he's going to get over. I'm just going to take these documents and sell them later on ebay i don't think it was anything like horrible he was going to sell secrets <laughs> to the russians i think he was just trying right. to find hey, like hey presidential papers are worth shit i'm gonna sell this shit and i don't think he was yeah. thinking of, of it as being an espionage thing i that was just a, my personal take after watching this selfish asshole for so long yeah i don't know yeah no, I could, I could, I've heard theories from intentionally taking the things to sell. Uh, the nuclear codes is the one that keeps coming up or the nuclear materials, whatever that, whatever it is. I, but we don't even I, know if they were looking for that, do we? Right, right. We, That's we know... just a rumor. Somebody threw that rumor into the salad mix. Yeah, I think it was something that went to the Washington Post or was it? I can't remember the exact organization, but it I don't know if it was the Washington was it Post. An it was, um, was it an anonymous was source? Was it Newsweek? I was it an anonymous source? Exactly. I'm just saying this is one of the things that I'm guessing it probably was, on. yeah. Right. So this is the other yeah. thing that that I'm and, and this is not to be shitting on your call-in topic because a lot of people are doing it, but this is just mm -hmm. more free publicity and attention for Trump. 
I don't give a fuck. Really don't. Oh, all <laughs> of this stuff? Comes yeah. right down to it. Like anything, yeah. the name, man should not, if he's being investigated, the press, I don't, I, the press have so many other things they need to be covering. This is some bullshit that they're, everybody's focused on this. And, and again, I'm not trying to sit shit on your topic because I think no, it's important I, I mean, that we can I, have these kinds of conversations. You know, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation too is because I wanted more of the sounding board from people like you to be like, what should we give a fuck about this? You know, because honestly, I, I do. I think part of the reason too. I mean, look, whenever something happens in the legal world and I just start hearing people talking about it and giving all these bad takes, part of me wants to just break it down and be like, all right, well, let me tell you just let, let me just tell you what a search warrant is. Like, let's just go, let's just start there. Let's just figure out what we're actually dealing with because a lot of the times it does get sensationalized, right? So No, I think that your instinct to explain the process is is a very good one instead of focusing on the thing that's happening, helping people understand the structure of the system. I think that's an excellent instinct. Right. I do think, I mean, and look, we... I am always of two minds with with doing that too because uh, you know with stuff like I've done similar episodes when it comes to things like Roe v Wade being overturned and you can get into the minutia of what are the sort of legal theories that are being put forward and why are they bullshit on their own sort of uh, you know like by their own merits by their own logic but. Really, what you need to know, I mean, you kind of can know most of what you need to know about Roe v. Wade being overturned by just knowing that it's fucking bullshit. You know, like that's almost just like that's just a good analysis, right? Like, oh, this is bullshit. People should not have that <laughs> yeah. power to to do yes. that in the first place. But I yes. do think there is a, there is a place to, you know, a lot of people use fancy words and fancy sort of like processes and all that shit to kind of keep people out. And there is a place to sort of deconstruct that a little bit by the terms of the system itself, because it really does highlight the, the contradictions and sort of the, the, how flippant and how, how, um, how sort of bullshit the system is to begin with in a large part. Right. But here's the um, other thing. I was just listening to a, to a podcast today and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to remember that they were interviewing somebody who was working legislation through through one of the houses and it was like just like the, the so then first we have to go over here to this person at this desk and do this thing mm -hmm. before we can get mm -hmm. the language put in and then it has to be reviewed by this so like just going through the steps because it, it it there's so much that it's easy to criticize from the outside when you don't know what the actual day-to-day -day operating procedures require um you know what I'm saying? Mm. So I'm trying yeah, to have some yeah, empathy 100%. for that for that side of it. I'm also as much I'm a I'm a big believer that we're all connected, but I also think we need to stop putting institutions on such a pedestal that it's not human beings. The people that went on that yeah. raid at Trump's house were human beings in clothing, wearing underwear, maybe some of them not. Who knows? Some of them maybe had to pee before 
they went down there. So they start, I mean, there's, there's human people behind all of these institutions that make yeah. decisions yeah. and, and it's easy to just demonize, but then that's, then we are creating yet another division that we don't want to be having. And sure. if, if we sure. all of a sudden are now, now the right and the left is bickering about whether to get rid of the FBI. Oh my mm -hmm. God. People are starving. Well, <laughs> That's true. You but, know? but again, the, the, the idea of disbanding the FBI is not something I am against when it comes to. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying it's not a, a worthy solid charge. And, and I'm also saying just there's going to be all kinds of me. arguments about it. Oh, for sure. For sure. But also, um, while I'm while I remember, uh, there is actually a regulation in place for the FBI uh, that it is illegal for them to wear underpants. So. Um, literally everyone who raided, uh -uh. literally, are they Mormons? Raided, yeah, <laughs> they all have to just free ball it all the time. Um, <laughs> in fact, when they're in the offices working, they're all just fucking Winnie the Poohing it. Uh, okay, I, just, I got a question. Just shirts though. on, dicks out. Uh, yeah, uh, go what ahead. What about bras? Bras? Uh, no, well, they all have to Winnie the Pooh and Donald Duck it. So got it. everyone's got, got a it. nice little top on, a nice little sailor top. And uh, absolutely nude <laughs> from the waist down. It's it's the law. Um, so that's how it works in the FBI. They're foobies. Uh, they're foobies. That's right. That's how it goes, baby. It's almost foobies. like a. It's almost like a furry. <laughs> I, well, furries are probably much better at investigating things than the FBI. <laughs> well, they are. They are better at protecting rights. Yeah. That's for sure. That's for sure. I that's for sure too. Having... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate you having yeah. this show. I don't want to. I don't want to change the subject. Do you mind if I kind of fill no. you in on what's no, going on with it. the ERA with the Kate Kelly thing? So on um, uh, last week, yeah, go for it. Um, uh, on the media podcast had a had a segment about this op-ed in the L.A. Times by Kate Kelly about how mm -hmm. the ERA could could help with the abortion issue. I and that. and um, so so after after listening to that, actually, and, and, and just one one second, Amanda, yeah. for those of you who don't know what we're talking about. So there's a um, the ERA is the Equal Rights Amendment, which is a an amendment that was either mostly passed or on its way to being mostly passed uh, to the Constitution, uh, which would a very short amendment, which would basically just say that. Uh, uh, you cannot discriminate against, uh, let me see if I can just find the exact text, but the, the, hold on, resolution text, here we go, yeah. Uh, so the amendment would basically create equal rights for women as part of the, the Constitution itself. So uh, section one of the amendment would say, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Pretty good. Section two, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation, the provisions of this article. Section three, this amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. That's it. But that's the whole thing, right? Um, of the Equal Rights Amendment. Anyway, it was on its way to passing, it didn't pass. What's been proposed now by actually Derek, who is a member and calling a lot and some other people are that in the, in light of Roe v. Wade being overturned, what we should do is rally again to pass this amendment, um, 
being passed through individual states. A bunch of the state legislatures have actually already approved this amendment, but it's, again, it's, I think the last time that it happened was like in 19, uh, it's been a while. Um, the last state that to that has uh, approved it was Virginia in 2020, but this amendment has been being ratified uh, uh, ratified by different states since 1972. But the idea is basically, hey, if we can push this as uh, an amendment, then this will give us grounds to challenge the Dobbs decision and to bring up the issue of abortion back to the Supreme Court and have the Dobbs decision overturned. Uh, if that makes sense to anybody. I hope everyone following, good, good. All right, Amanda, sorry for that aside. No, no, no apology on. required because that was a very, that was very helpful. I'm, um, let me know if the sound outside becomes too loud. So, so Kate Kelly um, is actually became known in this country as because she was actually um, excommunicated from the um, Church of Latter-day Saints, I think they call it something now, so, yeah. um, LDS, um, for, for trying to get women to be able to be pastors or whatever, right? So it was because it's only men mm. in the Mormon church. And she's like, right. screw that. Women should be able to be pastors also. So she was excommunicated and she, um, she has gone through it a, um, a an evolution from being Mormon and being excommunicated from being Mormon and um, works for equality now, which is working on the Equal Rights Amendment passage. And when the when the Roe decision came down, um, she switched her podcast, which used to be called Ordinary Equality to be a, a post-Roe world where they're talking about all of the different things on the ground that people actually are already doing that people mm. can get involved in and I just okay. want people to know that that um, that this is this is something that is bubbling underneath the surface and there's the people who are in power in DC right now those women were women during the 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 70s feminist yeah. wave and when the ERA was being passed, and I'm telling you, the people that I know that are from that generation, they don't know what's happening with the ERA. Right now, according to some people, now I'm not a scholar, what I'm trying to get is the attention to bubble up, to get somebody to look into this so we can have some specific scholars that, or lawyers or act, that is not just the activists from the, the groups that are trying to pass it, right? We need the peer review or whatever you want to call it of whether this is a good idea to try and get it passed. But according to one thing I read, it would be the 28th amendment if Biden writes a letter to the national archivist and tells him to put it on there. That's all it takes. Hmm. That's interesting. And if that's the case, we need to be right now putting all the pressure on everybody running for office. If that's not the case, then I don't want to be spreading misinformation because there are several other ways to be doing it. And there's going to be pushback against it. But this seems like something that could be doable and is a way better thing to be putting our attention on than some asshole in Florida. It's, it's difficult. I, I wonder if that's all it would take. 
I don't know. I because I know that I'm looking at the, the Wikipedia page now, and I know six of the states that had previously ratified it have revoked. Right now we have what? No, that's not true. States. Where is Where do you see that? Because I have the they revoking is not a thing that, that you can do with ratifications. Well, that's the argument. Article five is silent about it. So whether or not a state can actually rescind or otherwise revoke a previous ratification <sighs> is silent. So that goes, and you know what fucking happens whenever something's silent. It yeah, goes, it goes to the, the Supreme, Supreme Court. Court so, gonna, so, you know, there, so yeah. then we have to do some preemptive lawmaking, right? Well, potentially. I mean, I mean this like, is look, something think, that we I, could. Yes. The the left doesn't have anything that we're planning ahead for, like correct, like the correct. right had with abortion. Why couldn't this be a thing? No, it should be a thing. Because it's so, so close to I the end, like we this, could get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this should definitely be something for anyone who's who's interested in this. This should be a really big strategy for the left. I, I think, if nothing else, it creates pressure. Uh, it creates pressure for this thing to potentially pass. It takes pre it creates pressure for Biden to take some kind of bold action or whatever. But it's you need something done like something like this too would actually create a legal basis. And again, this gets into the minutia of the details. I know for a lot of you, it's like who cares. But for a, for a court to take on a case, the Supreme Court to take on a case like abortion, again, there needs to be some kind of change in the circumstances around the laws or the rights as we understand them. Um, the reason why the right wing was so good at getting abortion back into the courts over and over again is they would study the decisions of the Supreme Court and they'd craft laws that particularly made, abortion restriction laws, particularly made right on the cusp every time and inch by inch by inch because they weren't uh because the cases were slightly different in a in a legitimate enough way or in a valid enough way that the supreme court could take the case again uh they would carve away at abortion rights by doing that uh the thing is on the left we can't really use that same strategy because if we have uh, say uh, the, the current Dobbs decision right now basically leaves the idea of abortion restrictions up to the states. Uh, if we make a really inclusive abortion law, like you can get an abortion anytime, uh, that's, that is no longer like a constitutional issue. Does that make sense? Like it's, it's up to the states now to make the laws as restrictive or unrestrictive as they want to. Right. So you can't you can't get this issue back in the courts by creating a a um, an inclusive or a, a broad abortion law. The only way right. you can get it back is by changing the circumstances of the rights to people that are so like the recognized ERA. By people. So the ERA is actually perfect for that, um, right. and it's already in a position to where it's is it ratified? Is it not ratified? Who's to say? But we have our, we at least have our ability to like. So right it, now, right? right now, Arizona, Nevada, Utah mm -hmm. have not have not ratified. I think Idaho has not either. And and the and the rest are in the, the south. States, six of the states have. Um, so tried I'd to like rescind to, yeah, I'd like to I'd like are, to hear a, a legal scholar on this on this topic or or legal scholar and kate kelly who's been working on this at plus women's rights for you know 15 years i and i i mean 
I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang up so that L Lorraine can can have her voice heard. I really appreciate you engaging in this conversation because because uh, it's been top of mind and and I I'm telling everybody that I know that's a woman over the age of 55 because those are the women that were in that movement at the time and they don't know. Tell them. Tell your mom. Does she know? Tell them. Tell them. Tell oh, them. We'll find out. Because you we'll know what? Out. Because those <laughs> those people are those people are those people are powerful. Those people yeah. can have power. Yeah, my mom so, is pretty powerful. She's pretty cool. <laughs> I, that that does not yeah. surprise me in this in the <laughs> least. You have a good yeah. day. Yeah, thanks, Amanda. Thank you so much for calling in. All right, Lorraine. Uh you're the next caller. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Hello? Hi. Hey, what's going on? How are you? This is uh, L Train, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> How are you, my son? Okay, great. I'm doing good. Hey, mom. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> Thanks for calling in. Good. I'm, I didn't mean to uh, butt in on Amanda because... Uh, no, you didn't. You didn't at all. I like to listen to you and Amanda go back and forth on, on things, and I learn when I listen to you. So. Yeah, well, she's pretty smart, so they. Yeah. I, I learn a lot. It's nice. Yeah. How you doing? What's going on? Oh, nothing. I just wanted to, you know, make, you know, see if I could actually do this, so... For sure, of course you can. Yeah. You're you're doing it right now. You got it going on. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm. I enjoy your show. Oh, thanks, much. mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have much to say other than that. <laughs> That's okay. What else is going on? What's going on? How's um? How's life? What's you doing? A lot of painting or? Oh well, you know when I can. Okay. I, I say yeah. I I'm. Uh, I feel like the. Uh, whole thing with the top secret documents at Mar-a-Lago is a, a bit more serious than what you may think. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I mean, like, I know, but like... I, know, I feel it's... like he's so nefarious with everything he does that that he probably had bad intentions, for sure. He, he Whatever. maybe. out of there, and I, I don't want to cut him any slack at all. Um, yeah. Well, you want him to go to jail. You want to put him in jail yourself. <laughs> not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, okay. I want it, if anything, to make it harder for uh, a U.S. president to behave the way he's behaved uh, his four years in office with all the uh, ethical, you know, misconduct. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it was so it. hard to keep up with everything that he did while he was in office, but um, it was a learning process so that we could put in their um, policies to prevent a president from going rogue. Yeah. No, so. I, I get you on that. Can I, you know how I feel about the whole Trump stuff because you've kind of seen me become a socialist as <laughs> in the past couple of years. Fine. Uh, <laughs> I'm down with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, the whole Trump to me is kind of like, uh, either like Johnny Rotten or Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols in a way, right? Like, like there was already a lot of rock and roll that was happening. People were already smashing guitars, but uh -huh. like they were just, just like weren't as good at playing music 
Like, and I don't mean that. I love their music. They just like, they were more like, like punk about it, or they were more just out in the open and their, their, how they looked and how they acted offended people more. So people paid more attention to it. You know what I mean? Like Pete Townsend was smashing guitars way before, you know, the Sex Pistols were. Um, mm-hmm. But like somehow people, you know, were like, oh, but Pete Townsend, these are good lads. But the Sex Pistols were like seen as these super degenerates or whatever. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I think Trump, like he's just brought a lot to the surface of the shit that was going on. Because I mean, I mean, you you were here when Bush was here, you know? Like we were literally bombing we killed a whole lot of people, like well, just people, for no I, reason, I, for I no was, reason. Yeah, for that was years. hard to live through too. Of course, that yeah. was all hard to live through. Yeah, and like, I and know. and Cheney was getting payouts from his, you know, his investments or his 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 position at Halliburton too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. While we were selling no bid contracts, you know, we're, we're selling weapons and buying weapons exclusively for parts of this war that he's pushing for from Halliburton, from his company. And to me, it's like, you know, if I start, if you really start to rank like how bad presidents were, I think Trump, listen, Trump is like the most out and out, like easily like fascist looking or seeming piece of shit for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's just a fucking dick, man. And, you know, at least he's a dick, you know, he's just, he's completely whatever. But like, I, I do think, you know, I, I am a big believer that Trump is, is the symptom of a longstanding American problem. And we've been on this path for a long, long time. And we're, we're now just here reaping what we sowed, basically. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, and I get it. I get why people are super like, why they don't like Trump, because I don't like Trump. When people say he was a fascist, I'm like, yeah, he really wanted to be. He wanted to be the cult of personality fascist more than anything, too. Like, he... He doesn't care about laws or orders or anything like he doesn't care. He just he cares about himself. He wants you to think he's cool. He's uh-huh. you know, it's it's all bullshit. But like, you know, like it it is this raid and stuff, I do worry because there's so much news coverage and so much like uh, emphasis on Trump himself that we're missing all the sickness that gave us Trump to begin with. And no one is addressing that sickness. I mean, Joe Biden sucks like like you know like look you know full disclosure you know i voted for him even though i was like this fucking sucks like i didn't i don't i don't know if i'll ever do that again because some of the conversations i've just had with people here which have kind of convinced me that we need we i it's probably worth withholding my support and actually fighting for something that you actually believe in to at least offer people a goddamn alternative to the duopoly that we're in my, I mean, my logic for voting for him at the time is that it, it's the Noam Chomsky logic of like, look, he's going to give us more time to organize and like be able to maneuver better than Trump would. So we buy some time to do whatever. Right. But like, I don't know. I don't know. There's when 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 that train comes around, I would like to have a lot of conversations with people here because I have to. Yeah, it's a harm reduction. That's right, Allison. It was a harm reduction idea. Um I don't know, but like Biden was a harm reduction. Yeah, my vote for Biden, I thought it would be a harm reduction, but now it's kind of like the thing is, though, it's 
I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. And look, we are out of Afghanistan, I guess, which I, I agreed with. I don't like withholding the funds and, and you know, keeping their, uh, our policies now leading to a lot of innocent people there who are starving, who are not part of the Taliban, who, mm-hmm. you know, are, that's a whole fucking issue, actually, that's going happens. on over there. But like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that like, you can, there's an argument that could be made to be like, what harm have you reduced under Biden? There's a real argument to be made about that. And I think the those are the conversations that are actually worth having. And this raid stuff, I'm interested in this raid stuff only because there, look, there is a lot of emphasis on, let's talk political ramifications just for a second, right? Mm-hmm. I do think that the amount that we focus on Trump in particular is kind of empowering that base a little bit. Hmm. You know, this raid, I think it's very telling. Oh, I, I, yeah, it, it, it wasn't really a raid, was it? I mean, they subpoenaed him. They asked for the documents back. Nicely. Right. Right. Which is fair. In there fair. quietly walking fair. in. Welcome. Yes. Thank you. I'm your lawyer. Right. Okay. Right. Right. There are, yeah, there are reports that, um, they Jane. knew, it was just reading the documents to the White House. Right, right. I mean, that sounds like news, uh, you know, news people trying to blow it up more than it was. I think, well, well, here, I, I do think it's been blown up more as actually happened. You know, when people think of raid, they think like, get down, motherfucker, get down. Right, you know, like, exactly. Guns, like someone that. shoots the dog, you know? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that at all. It was like, a bunch of people in polo shirts and no pants yes. because they're just they're Absolutely. Winnie the Pooh in it, just going over there and getting in there and taking some boxes right over the course yes. of a couple hours. This is what happened. But here's here's the thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. What were you saying? No, nothing. Just returning the stuff to where it belongs. Returning the right. documents home. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's it's that's all and well done himself, but he refused to do that. Yeah. So what I, yeah, what position yeah. is what what's left? We have to send someone in there to go get it. You could, so but sorry here, here's, well, causes... here's the part. Here here's here's where I give a little of the pushback. All of that is correct as far as this wasn't like yeah they weren't you know killing his dog or whatever and getting in there and and like a fucking it wasn't something it wasn't like the raids that you hear about against actual U.S. citizens like like everyday people like Breonna Taylor right. It wasn't right. one of these no-knock warrants Bang where, the door. No. right, right. Like, mm-hmm. it's not the kind of raid that happens whenever we get raided. <laughs> you know, like, right. I'm dead. Uh, it was a nice little fancy raid. And it wasn't even a raid. It was a little visit to get boxes. That's true. But I do yeah. think that his ability to turn that and to play it up with his audience and say, I was fucking molested by the FBI that came in. And, you know, took these boxes and all this, like, it does create like a, a, a shit storm, which mm-hmm. creates a new cycle. And I do think the media, anything like, look, especially as long as we have just a whole bunch of for-profit media companies that are owned by this corporate conglomerate, you know, these corporate conglomerations that have their own interests and want to, you know, I don't know, like sell pharmaceutical drugs on TV or whatever, like, they're going to have to sensationalize news to some extent and, 
create keep that media cycle going to keep us looking in, which is why I keep telling you guys, like MSNBC is just as bad. I know, I know you like it more. I know it's not Fox News. Fox News is definitely a lot more like blatant about it, but MSNBC the shit that they'll just peddle is just trash, you know? And it's 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 really that's most cable news nowadays, unfortunately, which also sucks. Because when you say that, you sound like Donald Trump talking about fake news. But, you know, b- broken clocks are right two times a day. You know, it's, it's, it's that thing. It's like, yeah. well, he's I, not I, wrong. I allow myself um, one hour of news, and it's usually uh, MSNBC with Ari Melbourne. Okay. Yeah. You, you guys like Ari Melbourne, I dude. I do morning Joe with, um, you know. Joe Scarborough? Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like that, and uh, that's it. Anything other than that is just trying to find articles to read or whatever because it's just repeating itself. Yeah, yeah. It's just the same it's, news over and it's over. The same and over shit and over. over and over again. You know, Drive it just keeps. Yeah. Yeah, and it's meant to drive you insane to keep you like. I mean, they they really. I I really don't like the degree. Look, things are pretty existential right now. I don't mean to say that we shouldn't be afraid of things like. You know, global warming, every time I think about it, it's a little like, holy shit, it's, it's a little wild. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But, but you know, the idea of keeping you fearful and fearful of each other and the other side, and you you can trust us, though, we're the news, like, come in and we'll, we'll keep you informed and make you, like, it can start legitimately hurting your psyche. Um, you know, yeah. it's kind of like Twitter before Twitter, you know, like, nowadays you'll get people on Twitter who are just going nuts. There's, oh man, one of the political commentators I follow a lot had this, she did this like report about um, basically like how Marjorie Taylor Greene called for the FBI to be dismantled uh, after this raid. And this this, uh, political commentator that I I like, she said, look, Marjorie Taylor Greene is right, but you know, she's obviously bad faith, but she's right. We should dismantle the FBI. So she did a whole report on it. And then just on Twitter for days since then, there've been all these bad faith takes against her. Like you want to team up with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And then they will be like, but the thing that gets me is like, you can see her just tweeting back at all of these people about how, like, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. And I can't fucking imagine spending like two or like a week of my life yeah. tweeting back all these people about like you got to watch the video you got to watch the video it's like dude like fuck them like yeah, you're okay I, like I know it's, I girl, never go I out never, like get go do something you know like get out of there get out I do tweet because it's just another social media platform that I'll get yeah. sucked into and I can't keep up with all that anyway I'm not clever with clever comments. Oh, you're so clever. No, so I'm, clever. I'm not a clever Stop. comment person. <laughs> you wrote an entire rap song for your anniversary about <laughs> how you're a hippie, but you married a conservative black guy. That's right. That was your whole song. My rap. And it was awesome. You wrote it an entire rap. Popular yeah. in Brazil. It's what? Very popular in Brazil. <laughs> how did it's that a... happen? I don't know. But they That's like it. Funny. You should go on <laughs> tour in Brazil. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. keep up all your time. Either you have other people that want to talk. Um, yeah, but they're I not my mom. <laughs> but 
just stand up for Jason for a minute. I don't think he sucks. Who? He you don't think he sucks? Biden. I like Joe Biden. Yes, I um, do. Uh, Joe Biden can... Oh, Sorry. fuck. Okay. Oh. It's okay. <laughs> I look, I, I know. Like, look, I think he's a very the nice best guy. He can under the circumstances. Uh, if that's the best he can, honey, he needs to get the fuck out of there. Sorry. Sorry what? for cursing about it. But like, he... No. No, I'm not. I'm sorry. I don't want to give you a participation award for being president of the goddamn United States. Like, do something or get out. Like, do something. Then why did he run like that? No, man, he could do so much, mom. He could do so much. And he just does not. He will not pull the trigger. And from what everyone says. Like executive action type stuff. Every every goddamn thing in his power. I'm telling you this. If I was there right now, given where we were at with the last presidency, Mm -hmm. I'm pulling Mm -hmm. out all the stops. I'm, I'm testing the bounds of power yeah. as hard as I can. Now, he's just down the to line, bridge. He's trying to to bring the country together, you know. And if you yeah, do that, how... he's just doing the the very extreme left stuff. No, no, that's such a it's bullshit framing. Extreme. See, that's 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 that's, that's because I'm sorry, but like giving people health care when that's like 71 percent of the people no, in the I, United yeah. States want that, yeah. like mm-hmm. that's not extreme left. The fact that we think it's extreme no. is because the media that reports on it are both owned. By people who benefit off the pharmaceutical industry and do not want you to have universal health care. So they frame it as extreme. I support that too. And I'm a big Bernie fan. I love Bernie. Yeah. Yeah, you were. You were a big Bernie. I don't think he sucks. Yeah. Sucks is not right. (laughs) Allison. Allison says, don't dunk on my mom. I'm sorry, mom. (laughs) (laughs) But Allison actually, she suggested that you watch Democracy Now!, which you already watch. You've been watching that for years. that a lot. I watch yeah. people too, um, but I used to watch it a lot. I don't know what happened. I, I lost yeah, tape. Just do streaming and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you're streaming, anyway, I mean, democracy now I is good. Breaking now, points yeah. is all right too. They're 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 decent. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for calling in. I mean. You're welcome. That's really nice. I'm glad you like the show. <laughs> I do. All right, everybody. Now you can let all the other more intelligent people talk. All right. Oh, mom, there's no one more intelligent. Stop. <laughs> Stop. You're the best. Hanging up. Love you. All right. All right. Love you too. All, all right, right. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my mom. <laughs> you were here. Where were you when Biden's mom called in? <laughs> all, right. all right. Oh, that's so nice. It's always nice to talk to mom. All right, Jenny, you're up next. Welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. I am so impressed. I don't think one of my kids would come on my show if I paid them money. <laughs> and your mom just sounds like such a lovely person. I'm really oh, she's, jealous. She's legit the best. She's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, yeah she's cool. As, uh, I'm, I was going to say cool. As, now I'm, I don't want to curse too much. <laughs> well, she's cool as heck. She's great. <laughs> she just seems oh, like she loves you so much and yeah, wants awesome. you to succeed and you know, yeah. it's, it's such a crazy time right now. I, I'm a conservative and I voted for Trump twice, but I have five yeah. adult, I have five adult children and mm-hmm. two of them voted for Trump in 2016, but the other three were very embarrassed by my posture and my position on all of this. And so them just really struggled the last six years as they've kind of been forging their own political identities. Yeah. And it's just such a confusing time. Because I think they really voted for Biden first and foremost because they did not like President Trump. 
But secondly, mm. I really thought they were ho- they were hopeful that he would do some good things to help the economy and, you know, just move things forward. And so it's it's been interesting yeah. talking to them just a little bit here and there. Mostly they don't want to talk to me about politics ever, but yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. interesting well, getting their views because it's, you know, like you say, some of the things that President Biden has done have been really kind of crazy. And um I, yeah, yeah, it it's it's, you know, like it's hard it's hard when the two bounds of President Trump and Biden, I mean to be honest, in a lot of ways, policy-wise, except for the the degree to which they virtue signal on different issues, uh is not it's not that different. And I don't mean that to be, you know, I'm not trying to be like uh, cons- build consensus or anything like that. It's really like it's there's been sort of a a tendency in America, in large part since about the Reagan years, where, uh, I mean, you can go back long in America's history and criticize a lot of things, but I will say that my where I started where really. I think where a lot of people nowadays kind of see things start to fall apart is the Reagan era to now. And it's interesting because a lot of what Reagan did was not stuff that we would see until years and years later. A lot of those effects. And then Bill Clinton expanded on. Um, The degree of outsourcing work, the lifting of regulations on corporations, um, getting rid of a lot of those uh, social or the laws and the safety nets, which kind of even the playing field for your everyday person. That's been like a a continual downhill slope. And it really has. It doesn't matter if they were Republican or Democrat. In fact, I think some of the bad. worst yeah. abuses happened during Bush 1 and Bush 2 with the Patriot oh, 100%. Act. Oh, 100%. And so I, I'm, I'm very skeptical yeah. about so yeah. many of those things. Well, the well, thing that troubles me is what I saw today with President uh-huh. Biden. You know, he canceled, the, he canceled the loans of everybody who had gone to IT to tech. So all these student loans just wiped them. And then he signed oh. off on the Inflation Act, which even Bernie said, this is not going to help the inflation. And so yeah. these two things yeah. today that are just more debt, piling on more debt. And it's like, when does it stop? Is he going to, there are people who theorize that if he does cancel all student loan debt, it's really like the last big economic bubble. If he does that, it could collapse. It could collapse the economy. So I I totally understand that concern. Um, It might be helpful here. Let's, let's, let's just take one step back and talk about debt versus deficit too. Okay. Because one thing is that the student loan debt, for example, is not like extra money that has to be paid out, if that makes any sense, right? That, that money's already it's, – it's basically just forgiving money that's already been spent, right? So that doesn't actually increase your deficit, if that makes sense. Does that are, – are you following with that? Like, I'm following because, what, you're, what you're suggesting. I reject right. it on the level that when you have that much student loan debt – and then you just erase it, it is going to have a huge economic impact. Well, here's the interesting thing about deficit spending is there's almost a consent economically now, which is strange. 
among uh, economists, right? But there's almost a consensus that actual deficit spending ends up putting more money back into your economy than the actual deficit. Because the people who are free of that debt can now pay for usefulness, can now participate in the market, and they buy, and they invest, and they do all of that stuff, right? And so if you ask a lot of economists, there's a fair amount, I think it's actually the majority of economists out there who say, you know, it actually makes more sense to cancel all student loans for that reason. I know, because I, I know the deficit's the already there. I know the Keynesian approach, and most economists are Keynesian I, it's economics. It's interesting, but it's, it's not just Keynesian. I'm it's, an Austrian. It's, it's, I want, okay, I want yeah. balanced budgets, and I want, you know, I want yeah. sanity around economics for my children and grandchildren's future. And but we in America think, have yeah, never experienced yeah. hyperinflation. We've seen it around the world. We've seen it in Argentina. We've Weimar Republic. It's there. Sure. We can see what it looks like. But we have never experienced it. And I believe these steps are going to lead to hyperinflation, which is not something anybody wants to live through. Sure. Could you explain why why you think it's going to lead to hyperinflation? Well, because the Fed just keeps printing. And as they print and those dollars go out, the dollar devalues and the inflationary amounts go up on everything, whether it's food or gas or apartments, you know, it just goes up. Right. and. Where does it stop? Well, you know, 800% interest rate in Venezuela. What does that look like for the common people? They starve. They go hungry. Right. But like there's, well, there's a couple of things here. One is that the forgiving student loan debt wouldn't require printing any money. Right. So that's, if that's the, the issue for the hyperinflation, then we should look at that. Now I'm not, I'm, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm just trying to understand uh, where you're coming from here. Um, I am all about ta kitchen table economics, moms and sure. dads in their homes, balancing their checkbooks. Now, while sure, I admit too. it would be a great blessing for my own children to have their student loans canceled. They would love that to do yeah. that across the board and just cancel it all. I mean, I, I don't think any economist could even predict the rumble effect that would have on our economy. Well, the ones that have tried have said, probably good um so that's one thing right but the i, I do think look i i'm uh, believe it or not i'm more of a kitchen table economist too in that i think that a lot of the things that have been sort of capitalized on and 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 um commodified in ways that are really meant to extract money from everyday working people and transfer that wealth upward uh, to a small class of people, which is what's been happening. That, that part's pretty irrefutable too, right? Like Absolutely. The biggest, the pharmaceutical, the biggest transfer of wealth Pharmaceutical in, in companies, I think, are um, front and center. Yeah. All the scandals big, uh, around the hospitals, COVID vaccines. I mean, the, 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 yeah. the degree to which, I mean, look, it's, it's, we, we, we should look at these things a little more holistically too, because uh, the, Back in way back when, a lot less people were living paycheck to paycheck. I know Matt Taibbi's writing. Student, that's not just student loans, right? That's a pol those are policy decisions that have been happening since Reagan onward that have yeah. put us in this position to where now you have that many people who have like was it isn't it like one in five people? It can't be one in five, or I'm going to cry. Is it 
someone, what's the statistic of the amount of people who have serious medical debt? It might be one in five, maybe it's one in eight, but it's, you know, it's bad. And then when we talk about people going hungry, I saw a video of people in Philadelphia, like today, who are bathing in a fire hydrant, who are all homeless, you know, putting their clothes up on the, 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 the fence railing of a Walgreens in a parking lot. And you look at the kind of devastation that's happening in America. And, you know, I'm Nigerian too. And when you go to certain areas of Nigeria, the, the amount of poverty that you see on the streets is, it, it, it's frightening. And I'm looking at these areas like San Francisco, like Chicago, like Philadelphia, and it's the same shit. And for that to be happening in what is still at this point, the richest country in the world is inexcusable, you know? And, and there's a lot of these, I, I do think Jenny, like, look, I, 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 I understand why a lot of people voted for Trump. I really do. Well, it sounds like you voted for him once. No, I, I got, you know, I, I, there was part of me that liked the fuck it element of it. Pardon my French. Oh, um, I thought you said you did vote for him. No, I voted for Biden uh, and, and I voted for Hillary. I can't believe I voted for Hillary. Honestly, like Hillary, ugh, God, who was I? God, duh. Okay. Um, but I'll say, I, I will say this. I, I, I really think like, look, if you, one of the best things that we could do actually for our kids right now, if you look at just where millennials are as a group, like let's just examine, right? Uh, most millennials in their current situation will never pay off their student loans, which means they'll never own anything. They'll never, I mean, if you think about starting families, providing for them, being able to be there, that can't happen, you know, when you're living under that kind of thing. And also ITT Tech, kind of a like, didn't they go under? Aren't they like, are they still a school? Because I yeah, think that was I, one of those for-profit a, schools that was literally just like It was bilking people. people. I know, I'm totally, yeah. I'm totally sympathetic to why Biden did that because I don't think those degrees meant yeah. that much. And the people who did it were really being you know, taken to the cleaners and, and yeah. didn't come out with something that was producing jobs. But the same case can be said for a lot of university degrees that you have kids coming out who have these degrees in all Correct. sorts of fields Correct. and they can't find Absolutely. a job. So Absolutely. Which you know. makes it even weirder or to me, it makes it even more imperative that that debt is forgiven because a lot of these students, a lot of these people were sold on the idea that the only way that you get a job the only way that you're going to be employable, the only way these things are going to happen is if you go get those degrees. And I, I can't remember how many times I heard when I was a kid that it doesn't matter what your degree is in, right? Like you well, need I the degree it. just to I get the job. President Trump canceled all of the student loans of military veterans. I thought that was really classy and totally, yeah. appro totally appropriate. Yeah. I like that too. I think he, I think, you know what else I would like that President Trump did? Cancel everybody's student loans. I think that too would have been like, honestly, if Trump had gone in there, let me tell you, Jenny, if Trump had gone in there, starts canceling people's student loans, uh, makes Medicare for all or makes healthcare as a human right and starts actually returning jobs to the United States or doing some of the stuff that you say was going to do, I'd be voting for Trump. That's, but well, the problem every, is uh, every they decision, both do the same shit too much. Every you know? decision he made from day one he had seven lots filed no matter what he did. So it was literally him climbing up this mountain with a bag of rocks, 
Well, people yeah. are throwing rocks at his head, no matter what he did, no matter True. what decision uh, uh, was I'll, happening. Yeah, I'll, I'll was, agree that he he had a target on his back as soon as he got in there from oh, from before people he even who were, showed up. Before he yeah, even showed but up. I will say he didn't help a lot of that himself. <laughs> like, well, I'm going to be honest. Like, there is the, no the dude, playbook to tell yeah. you how to negotiate the tempestuous waters that that man was swimming through. And I'm oh, but didn't I'm he write so, the playbook? With the art of the deal? Isn't I'm that saying, his, you know what I mean? No, he, he definitely no used his own, you know, he wrote that based on Sun Tzu's The Art of War book. Did you ever yeah. hear that? Yeah, I've read that. That's actually good. Yeah. It's pretty No, solid. he based his yeah. whole business philosophy on The Art of War book. And he used a yeah. lot of those tactics during his presidency. What I'm saying is there was no manual to say, here's how to have a successful presidency with all of these people constantly dogging you every moment of your pregnancy there, his there, presidency. there are some some manuals I, I will say you know fdr gets brought up a lot uh he was hated by the media in, you know in a lot of ways they're very similar people the media pardon my french fucking hated fdr they hated his guts they wish he got polio again they were not on his team you know what i mean uh and today, to this day, he's one of the most, I think, effective presidents, at least in the beginning of his first term uh, and through his second. Uh, he's responsible for a lot of the uh, sort of American renaissance of... He's, he served four terms. If, do you remember they right, came up with the right. two, two terms They came up after, with a rule, yeah. After FDR. But he served four terms because people could not get enough of his ass. They yeah, were, no, they they were on him. Team FDR. Look, he was... And and he's an interesting case example, too, because here's another person like Trump who came up rich, who came up pretty connected, who, uh, you know, and Trump, I know Trump likes to say that he's a self-made man. Uh, that's that's a stretch. And I, I don't like it's a big stretch, you know, and like well, and FDR's not wife, saying no, she, had yeah. so much, she had so much street cred as a yeah. total activist for the people. And there's no yeah. question. Eleanor yeah. said. The no, Eleanor was a was a G. Yeah. Eleanor was a Eleanor was like a god, like a force. Absolutely, yeah. she she and could just everybody run shit. knew she was authentically out there trying to help the poor and yeah. and doing the work. I mean, hard work that needed to be done. Nobody nobody can question her heart. And sure. I, you know, I'm sure. willing to give credit where it's due. That the, the yeah. problem I have yeah, is that like is that for those of us who voted for Trump in 2020, many of mm -hmm. us feel mm -hmm. like. Our votes were disenfranchised by so much voter fraud. And many of us feel frustrated well, I, that because I, COVID yeah. came on the scene, so much of what President Trump was trying to accomplish just, you know, got shoved under the bus. I was going to say Matt Taibbi is writing a book right now on where all the COVID money went. And I can't yeah. wait for it to be published because I think once the American people especially understand how much fraud and theft was going on with those dollars which contributed so much to where we are right now financially that they're, yeah. they're just going to be pretty angry at the way, you know, these governmental agencies just use their tax dollars for a hundred percent. But stuff. guess who, guess, guess who those bills were written for Jenny with whose legislation in mind, like who, who were those bills actually written for? Because I'm, I don't know if you know this, I'm an attorney, right? I, that's why I, no, know I did not know that. I'm a lawyer. I actually work for the firm surprisingly that, for a while, represented Trump on some of his election fraud cases, believe it or really? not. Really? I was, I was not fucking involved. But, like, my firm, I know the people who did that. 
And well, on the election fraud stuff, let me just say uh, they a lot of that sh- most like ninety nine percent of that shit is really made up. And I oh, I've I'm seen the here. documents. I'm not it, here it's, in it's, Colorado, you know, where right. Mail-in voting was pioneered in Colorado. And during the 2020 election, we had two, three percent more people voting that are even on the voter rolls. And you and I both know you're lucky if you get 40, 50, 60 percent of registered voters out. Which voter rolls? But but, 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 these are like tidbits of information that come out. These are like I, I hear a lot of this stuff. I haven't seen any of this make its way in court in any significant way. Well, every I think single the idea, county. I think the idea was really too. I mean, I'm, I gotta let you know the strategy. And again, I, I wasn't involved, but what the idea is basically to cast enough doubt on it on on voting elections by filing a bunch of cases in a whole bunch of different places to make it seem like there was widespread voter fraud. It was about the aesthetic of it. I'll say this too: Trump is excellent at marketing. He is excellent at crafting a story and a narrative. He's very, very good at it. And he's, I think he's more shrewd than people give him credit for when it comes to understanding how to get to people with stuff like that. Well, but did you watch Dinesh's documentary, no, 2000 Mules? Stuff is, no, no offense, but that's, I, I read the cases, you know? Dinesh is not going to do that. He's always been a political operative. And I'm I not know. interested in, in, in propaganda, right? He makes but a lot of money is. off his documentaries. It's propaganda. That. It's but propaganda. I watched, that's I watched that's what he's doing. Mules. I was sold I, on what was presented during 2000 Mules. But that's the idea of editing, right? Is to sell you a story and to craft one that sounds believable enough for you. Here's the thing. That, that, there's, there's no credible evidence of widespread voter fraud that would have been able to overturn the results of the election. But that's, that's almost an aside. Like that part, um, I don't know, it doesn't even matter as much. I forget what the other point you said it other matters. things about it matters uh, to me about Trump. It, well, no, 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 no. It matters. Don't get me wrong. But like the fact, like when it comes down to hard evidence, the evidence is nowhere near uh, what Dinesh D'Souza, what any of these people claiming widespread voter election fraud are saying it is. And that's, I think it's it's a little scary in ways that the narrative has become that that's even a legitimate argument, right? Because well, it's, I it's, trust it's, it's, it's not there. Like I got, I got to see, I got to see facts. I got to see the evidence. I got to see the, the, the stuff. And um, Catherine Engelbrecht started the, tr- before we were talking the about the, the Catherine Engelbrecht, she, she started true the vote, the organization during the Obama okay. years. And okay. she is someone I trust. She is someone I have watched her work now for over 10 years. And when mm-hmm. she presented the evidence that she had gathered to Dinesh, she said, okay, let's make this into a movie. So it really wasn't Dinesh gathering the evidence. It was Catherine and her organization. And like I said, the way they presented it, right. they but sold the, the, me on the evidence. Correct. But they, there's a such thing as selective evidence. And what they don't do is sometimes way more important than what they show you. And what they're not showing you is the, it's, it's almost like it's, there's so much evidence against widespread voter fraud that it's, it kind of blows my mind sometimes when, I don't know, should I do an do episode you, on that? Do you think the know. video it's, 
Do you think the video that they had of the mules coming with eight or 10 ballots and taking photographs of them with their phones and then putting them yeah. in the drop boxes, do you think those videos were fakes? No, it doesn't matter if they're fakes or not, because the, the truth of those videos is number one, apparently there's like, that's not uncommon. And number two, the ballots, the eight or 10 ballots are not significant enough to have overturned the results of that state, right? So there's a dip, there's two conversations to be had. Was there any voter fraud? There always is, but it's always a small amount, right? Like the, the real question is, was there voter fraud to the level needed to overturn the results of the election? And the answer to that is definitively no. But what they do is they'll show you the video of that or this or this thing to have you try to believe that it's a widespread phenomenon. It's not. That's why they couldn't prove it in court. That's why every time they went to court, Rudy Giuliani, after he's having all these talks out in the public, woo, 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 voter fraud, never alleged voter fraud in actual court because he doesn't want to be perjured because he doesn't want to go to jail for lying. And that's what would happen. So, and that's what I see, you know, when you see stuff like that, like that's the stuff that kind of annoys me as, as an attorney is these motherfuckers don't have all this talk. Let me tell you something. Let me just tell you something about the voter fraud. Okay. Let's just be real about it. Just real quick. One of the people who went out and spoke about the vote, man. Oh God, I even says, fuck it. One of the people who went out and spoke about the widespread voter fraud, one of the poll watchers was an attorney from our firm who represented the Trump campaign. Gee, isn't that convenient that you have an attorney that represents you who happens to be the poll watcher who's now coming up with the idea that there was widespread voter fraud? Fucking bullshit. Like, and you know what? They can do whatever they want with it. Like, but that happened. That happened. He went out in public and alleged it while representing the Trump campaign previously. So that's the kind of stuff that I see is a crafting of a narrative, a crafting of a story. And you can look it up. You can look up. I'm not going to say names. I'm not going to say anything like that because, you know, I got to stay employed at least for a little while longer. <laughs> but like, that's, that's real. That happened. In fact, one of my dudes at my firm left, like, I remember we were so messed up about that when it happened that we had a whole, like, he called me when it was happening on C-SPAN and went, by. you have to turn on right fucking now. It's him. Like he's, isn't he a, isn't he a partner in one of our offices? And I go and I look and it is like, what the fuck? That's, so do, do so, attorneys not have the right for free speech? Do they, is it oh, a conflict of interest? Oh, do they no, break no, any no, laws? No, no. It's a big time conflict of interest to me. Now it's not about, do they break any laws? It's like, what are they trying? They're trying to convince people like you, Jenny, because you know what? They, they need your support. And if the only way that they can get your support is by intentionally misleading you, they'll do it. And that's the truth. A lot of this power works. And that's a lot of my problem with these politicians. And Trump, to me, is no different. Trump understands people. He understands narratives. He understands how to, and he understands TV better than fucking anybody. And when you hire a firm months in advance or whatever in advance, however long, and then it just the guy who happens to be your attorney becomes a poll watcher, and then you rely on him to set the basis of your evidence in a press conference? No. No, 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 no. That to me is, is bonker. That is bullshit. 
And I'm, I, I don't care. They can say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be silent about that shit because they can, uh, honestly, you could kiss my ass. You could kiss my fucking ass. No, um, I appreciate you sharing your firsthand account. I take you seriously. That's true, too. I mean, like. I'm mm-hmm. hearing what you're saying, but I, you know, I was convinced by that documentary that there was some big scale uh, cheating going on in swing states. And it had to well, do with these multiple mail-in ballots. And honestly, that was yeah, made sure. that was made possible because of COVID. Those states said, well, "Okay, I, we're going to say that." Uh, sorry, sorry. I, I'll just say this: they, they, if they convinced you of it in their documentary, then the documentary served the purpose that it was trying to do. But I, I, I'm always open to new evidence. That's why I said if Trump came out tomorrow and suddenly is Medicare for if he suddenly starts bringing jobs back, Medicare for all, whatever. Then but why? I, this I, is something you're probably the perfect. Said. You're probably the perfect person to ask. Why mm-hmm. do you guys want Medicare for all when you know about so much corruption tied to the pharmaceutical industry? I don't get oh, it. Oh, because the pharmaceutical industry loses its power. A lot of the power that pharmaceutical industry has right now is specifically because of for-profit healthcare incentives, right? A lot of their lobbying power that they get is for the money that they get from for-profit incentives. Like I just see it getting entrenched. By, I don't see them losing the profit Hello. motive. I just see it getting locked in. Uh, I, I'm I'm not sure how you mean. Well, I'm a childbirth educator, and over my 30 years of working in this field, I've watched how the cost of having a baby just exploded, and yeah, especially for, during for the profit. 90s. Yeah, during the 90s, it just got crazy how much money yeah. people are having to spend on having a child, and so the insurance companies would give less and less, and the copays went up, deductibles went up. Until it got to the point where you had to be wealthy to have a child or be on welfare and using, you know, the, the uh, what is it, Medicaid? And Medicaid, so, yeah. you know, people in the middle who weren't wealthy or weren't really poor, they, they couldn't have their kids. So they couldn't afford it. Yeah. And so I watched these prices just get jacked up and jacked up. And then Obama shows up and he's like, okay, we're going to do Obamacare and everybody's got insurance. And remember how he said everybody has to have maternity. You know, he wanted the maternity. Well, I had watched the hospitals jack up their prices over the previous <clears> 10 <throat> years to where right. they lock that in. There is no incentive for any any market forces to come into play to cause those prices to come down. They're locked. Well, the price and then, and the, they the also price has shut... gone up because of the market forces, though, right? Like the, the market forces are what's leading the price to go up. And that's one of the problems with the incentive structure of a for-profit healthcare industry is they'll charge well, you whatever they can get away with charging you. What and really they don't care, jacked it up you know. was, was all the lawsuits and all the medical malpractice suits and the I, you know their lack of tort reform. I don't think so. No, that sounds like a, a narrative that 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 people that uh, people push that does not actually solve the problem. I mean, what what caused the prices to go up are the people who profited off of the prices going up, who wanted to make money off of your body, who wanted to make money off of you having to not really have a choice as to whether or not you get to live. And there's any price that people will pay to live. Like that's what caused the profits to go up just straight up, right? Now, Medicare for all would allow uh, the government to actually have a check on that price structure. First of all, for-profit incentives would be gone out of the healthcare industry. And here's a funny thing. Doctors, like if you talk to most doctors, because I'm in a lot of dates with them. Hey, what's up, doctors? Hey, you beautiful. But like when you're going on, you know, when you're talking to these doctors and shit, the money from the healthcare system isn't really even going to them. They're, in, I know. you know, 
500,000, it's hospital administration costs, it's pharmaceutical costs, it's medical device costs, it's costs that are not in other uh, healthcare systems, right? They're only in ours. And when we look at pharmaceutical prices in particular, you know, these pharmaceutical companies that are lobbying for uh, certain, you know, exclusive rights in certain drugs, these uh, raising the price of insulin for, you know, because they have a patent on it. Uh, the, the What Medicare for All could do is allow the government, and this is actually something that came in on the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which we'll see how that goes, but to Medicaid cannot at least negotiate the prices down of those drugs. Like the reason they get away with it right now is because no one, look, if you have a patent on a drug and you're the only person who can make it and it's the most effective drug for like cancer or something or whatever, like, fuck you. You can put any price on it that you want. They'll pay. That fucking dying bitch will pay because she's going to die. And that's, that's why the prices are up with the pharmaceutical companies. Now they like to say that, oh, well, we need the market incentives because research and development and shit like that. Like a fucking small amount of their budget actually goes to research and development. Most of that shit goes in their pockets. And that's, that's the scam. The, and, and here's the other scam, Jenny, is like the conversation around these things. They somehow have been able to convince us that the problem is tort reform. The problem is people suing for medical malpractice. As if like us getting fucked up in the hospital and then not being able to pay for it afterwards and then needing like some form of, I don't know, relief because I don't know, operation went wrong or the drugs that we prescribed were wrong or something like that. But it's suddenly our fault for doing it. That's, that's the system. The system will have you believing in your own motherfucking oppression by the people who are oppressing you. And that's the truth of it. Like, I, I we, believe are not, you. We, we are not responsible in any way, shape or form for the fucking price of healthcare going up. How are we, people just trying to live on this planet, responsible for that shit? It's them. But you know what they do? They got all that money that they made from us, so they buy politicians to go and tell us that the real problem is tort reform. The real problem is the government. The real problem is this. It's their lobbying dollars at work, baby. And the more money they make off the healthcare system, the more they buy, they buy news networks, the more they buy newspapers, the more they buy politicians to keep selling us the same shit. But that's if how that, we keep if that industry where we're at owns, right now. If that industry owns the politicians and owns the CDC and the F, FBA, F, FDA, FDA yeah, and all of the infrastructure around healthcare, and they're calling all the shots, saying, mm-hmm. okay, we're now going to put the federal government in charge of this thing, I don't see it ever being reformed. And my consistent oh, you know message how it gets to deformed? families, my consistent message to families is get mm-hmm. out of that system. Give birth to your babies at home. Don't vaccinate. Oh, Stay girl. away from pediatricians. Girl. Live girl. your life. Live a whole life. That ain't the way, life. though. Yes, it I, is. I, I, you know no, how many I, families listen, are Jenny, doing Jenny, that? I understand. Listen, there's nothing I want more. And you can ask my mom straight up. There's nothing I want more. And I've, I've talked about a lot than escaping to the forest somewhere and living as a, a I don't know, like an old caveman, you know, or some shit. I you swear don't to have God, to do I, that. I am right there with you on that, though. But when we talk about having our babies at home, the kinds of risks that that takes, that's okay. But like uh, getting rid of vaccinations entirely, you know, vaccinations have been responsible for some ways, like really helping human beings get to where they're at. 
And the more we actually unplug from that system, it doesn't stop them from getting power. Do you think that that if there's money to be had in your home still, that they're not going to find their way in if they keep, if they need more and more money and they grow more stronger and stronger every day? Honestly, I'll tell you what. One thing that I think some Trump people got right, in a way, this is going to sound real fucked up, but I'm going to say it, was January 6th. In a way, they got it for the wrong reasons, but they, they understand that they're getting screwed. They understand that they're really getting screwed. That is true, okay? The the people being so divided and so like confused and shit being so bad right now is because of the condition created. I mean, look, at, this will be the last thing I say too, because I got to move on to Karen. I really do appreciate you calling in too, Jenny. But like, um, look, look, even look at things like global warming, right? How long were we told it was a hoax? It was this, it was that, it was whatever. And the people who were funding that whole lie to tell us that it wasn't real were the people who were causing global warming. The same is true with the healthcare industry right now with, oh, it, they're going to give us every other excuse. And then they're going to try to say that the solution is us. It's us as individuals. No. Systemically, where they're at and what they're doing, they know goddamn well what they're doing. So I would take, here's what I'd be skeptical about every motherfucking solution that they offer just about that doesn't have to do with getting rid of their own profits. Like that doesn't have to do with actually, if there's some kind of solution that they start offering us that like, well, you know, what if like you can have a selective vaccination or something like that? That's their game. That's their game. And that's how power works too. And the, the more we unplug, look, look, we're in for a confrontation with them one way or another. Like there's no, this, uh, this, I mean, one of the reasons why I become so skeptical of capitalism is because it turns out a lot of the people who have criticized it have predicted us getting here for a long time. Yeah, they and they're have. predicting us getting worse and worse and worse. They really have. And I don't think, I think now is the time. And look, I understand people's skepticism with the state, especially the state as it is now, because a lot of those people, turns out, are bought by the lobbyists who are, okay, they're just the tools of capitalists at this point, right? So it's like potato, potato. What's what's the difference between the two, right? But here's the thing is you do need a power structure that is capable of curbing that capitalist greed. So right now our options are basically, I don't know, like revolution and or reform while it's happening. Well, one and of my mentors there was is a doc- some utility to having a big state. One of my mentors was a doctor Go named Robert, Robert Mendelssohn. He wrote book titles like mm-hmm. uh, how to have a healthy child in spite of your doctor. Um, really famous guy. Mm-hmm. And, and he claimed in that book that the most revolutionary thing you could do <clears throat> is to get married, love your spouse and give birth to your children at home that that was the way to do the big F you to the system and, and hold on to your personal autonomy. And so my husband and I gave birth to our last two. We have five, but our last two at home alone. And there are thousands and thousands of families around the world doing the same thing. And we all feel this sense of just total empowerment that this is the way to live free because everything else, all those Mm. dominoes fall 
when the mom goes into the hospital and gets traumatized, she comes out level four trauma victim because of just having a regular old hospital birth. And then she's sick and she's got postpartum depression and she needs medications and the baby's not doing very well. All those dominoes start to fall and it ripples out into society so hard and everybody's medicated and everybody's anxious. And it's like, I'm just saying to families, come on over here where it's green and healthy and verdant and free yourself from this captivity by the pharmaceutical companies. They literally have us enslaved. And like I said, I am so skeptical about anybody from the federal government reforming that behemoth. It just needs to collapse in on itself because we've all walked away. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll reform that shit. <laughs> Fuck well, good like, luck to you. Good luck. Yeah, you know what? Look, if it's going to collapse one way or another, Jenny, then what's the point in not trying? You know, if it's going to collapse, fuck them. Well, they are so historically. Like, I don't care. Let it collapse. Let them try. I'm going to keep so trying. They are so historically willing to overpromise and underdeliver right 100%, now with every, every facet of medicine. They're not us. I think, I think you know? you're people a load of, of hogwash if you tell them, well, oh, if we I just mean, if we just give Medicare for all, all of your problems will go away. Everything no will be better. No one said that either. I think no that one said is that. Just, that but is we actually lot. have, we look, we actually have, if the, and, and to be frank, if we're talking about systemic issues, all of us going to go live in the forest and be unvaccinated is not going to solve it. We're under the power of systems, of powers, power structures. They need to be attacked directly. But I thank you very much for calling in, Jenny. Um, I always appreciate people with different uh, ideological bents calling in. It's, it's been, been pure joy talking to you. Yeah, it's thank been great. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Jenny. All right, take care. All right, coming up next, we got Karen. What's hey, going on, Karen? How bye. you doing? Thank you so much. And I just want to say thank you to Jenny if she's still on because it w it really was nice to hear her perspective and Everything she was saying yeah. about childbirth, I 100% agree with. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a whole hospital industrial complex. In yeah, girl. And, and, in, and I live in a, in a state where they, they try to, like, you know, push those cesareans without need numerous times, mm -hmm. and that's just not important. See, that's that profit incentive, you know? <laughs> that's that profit yeah. incentive. Like, the fact that, that elective yeah. surgeries, that elective surgeries or risky surgeries still make them a lot of money. Yeah. Sometimes they just start pushing surgery when they don't need it. Yeah. And that's I was, yeah. wild, right? Yeah. I could see how that would make you totally distrustful of hospitals as like a concept. Yeah. But we and have to look at like, to what degree is the motivator for that hospitals existing themselves, birth capitalist incentives behind the hospital. If a hospital yeah. has to make all that money, yeah. then you, your body literally becomes a means of farming for cash. Like, yep. and, and that is like, that's the fucking problem. That's the T, right? And I don't know. Like, look, the government's big. The, uh, capitalists are big. They could suck my dick. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I, I'm going for it. Whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I, I apologize. <laughs> Still hot, baby. I'm hot. I know. I know. But I want to thank yeah. Jenny for her perspective. But Me I did want to, I wanted to start with, because she started with ITT Tech, and I wanted to tell a personal story about ITT Tech. I have a baby brother 
who was a veteran who went to the Coast Guard, you know, about the time of 9-11. And then he ended up getting combat combat pay because he actually, like, went on some boat tours, like, in Venezuela and Colombia and some different places. Oh, wow. Like, so he actually, I don't know, he didn't do anything crazy. Nothing horrible happened to him. But, you know, he spent time, served the government, whatever. And Mm -hmm. the Coast Guard actually being you know, qualified for the GI Bill. So when he got out, he used his GI Bill to go to ITT Tech in Iowa and got his associate's degree. And ITT Tech was so expensive in our city that, um, okay, they used up the funds for his GI Bill. And then the admissions people, um, the financial aid people said, oh, don't worry, we'll go ahead and, you know, submit your FAFSA, whatever, we'll take care of the rest, and they took care of the rest through loans. And so my mm. baby brother, he's not a baby anymore, he's in his 40s, but um, he ended up basically having a $55,000 debt today because of Jesus. an associate's degree with ITT Tech when oh, he my fucking had... God. I know, he already oh, had a GI Bill. Oh, my fucking God. So if he had just been thinking through it or had gone somewhere else, he yeah, could have gotten kid, an associate. You know? I know. know. He could have like, gotten the associates you know, God, from somewhere else, and the GI Bill could have covered everything But else. But ITT Tech was predatory. And, and they, yeah, they, they just literally told him, oh, don't worry about it. You know, Don't think about it. Whatever. And, and so he got an associates, then he did try to start a bachelor's with ITT Tech in Colorado, I guess. Um, yeah. And then he had some Ugh. professors who started, or instructors, I guess they weren't professors, <laughs> yeah. who just, like, started admitting <laughs> during class, like, yeah. oh, yeah, this degree is going to be worthless. Like, literally yeah. admitting out loud this degree is yeah. not really going to do you very, do you much good. I think that's pretty fucking brave to do, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Just look, um, guys, I'm here to get a quick paycheck, but let me tell you, this is a scam, and you need to get out. Yeah. Need to get out, right? Like so, it's Yeah. God. So he got out, God. didn't finish, didn't get a bachelor's. Obviously he never really got a job in the IT industry. And since mm-hmm. that time he's worked in food service and he works as a bar manager now. So oh, wow. in my Jeez. mind, I texted him earlier today, I said, Does this apply to you? And he hasn't replied because he's working at the bar right now. I have no idea if he's seen my text. Yeah. Um, I hadn't even heard that story until Jenny mentioned it, actually. Yeah. Um, So anyway, it's going to benefit a lot of people. They really were a predatory uh, organization. But then to to Jenny's point, because she's expressing, you know, a common belief that this is going to hurt us. And you did such Mm -hmm. a great job job explaining to her why it, it... it doesn't, this cancellation of any sort of student loan debt held by the federal government. You did you did explain that. But just to remind everyone, and I invited Jonathan. I don't know if he's going to have a chance to join, but Jonathan joined. He's a really good MMT-like supporter. But for those of you who don't oh, remember, yeah. <laughs> um, there yeah. is this thing that economists agree on called modern monetary theory. And... Mm-hmm. And it's something a lot of people don't understand, that the federal government creates currency. Our dollar is not tied to anything anymore, ever since the Nixon administration, because that's when we totally fully went off the gold standard. Yeah. It's a fiat currency. The government can literally make money 
out of thin air. It literally does that. And I saw a bunch of people in the comments when Jenny was talking mentioning that. It's true. The government doesn't need our money. But people will say, hey, there's a worry that, oh, you got to worry about inflation, right? Okay, if you spend too much money, then then the government, you know, could create inflation, et cetera. Right, right. Um, But you know, Biden probably, that, and lots of people know, that inflation only occurs when there's a constraint on whatever, you know, resource you're trying to extract, right? Right, so right, right, it's only right. a problem. <laughs> you know, if you cancel right. everybody's debt. That's a really debt, good point. Yeah, good point. if you cancel yeah. everybody's debt, first of all, most of us, many of us, have had most of our payments paused for a couple years already. Okay, there's already inflation. I know, thank God. Yeah, no kidding. I'm with you. <laughs> Except I had a felt loan that has not. I've been having to continue to pay, whatever. But yeah, um, they'll get you. Yeah, they will. Um, but yeah, it's what will be the constraint on our resources. So if everybody has their debt suddenly canceled, I suppose people have more money to perhaps buy homes that they've been that they've been putting off purchasing right. if suddenly everything's canceled so that's a problem oh jonathan jumped in so maybe he can explain this more um oh great yeah but yeah i know awesome <laughs> but it um <laughs> so that would be one thing i don't know Bide, can you think of other things that would be a constraint so everybody suddenly has a, a you know oh my gosh they don't have to pay their student debt money anymore what are some right. other resource constraints cost of college potentially right but yeah. if you have state funded colleges community colleges and private colleges can't you control the cost for those at least right shouldn't yeah you? you could hells yeah yeah so hells yeah that yeah maybe those people who want to go to elite <laughs> schools those will continue to rise okay whatever yeah but, which is um, so funny because in a lot of those elite schools they literally like they don't have to charge tuition because their endowments alone oh can fund all the things going on in those schools for in, in, into perpetuity, yes. which is crazy, right? Like insane? Harvard literally can afford to never charge tuition like again and just live off of its, of its endowment, which is nuts, but they're still charging tuition. Because they want yeah. that elite, that elitism probably, yeah. you know, so that only yeah. people who are scions of so-and-so can join unless they yeah. get a special scholarship, maybe? Yeah, um, yeah. What a bunch of jerks. Yeah. But I'm with you. (laughs) But I just wanted to, like, (laughs) remind people that the government creates dollar bills. (laughs) And we don't even carry dollar Mm -hmm. bills anymore. The money that's in your bank account, the government created. It's spent into the economy. If the government didn't spend it into the economy, it wouldn't exist. And Stephanie Kelton has talked numerous times about how actually the recession of the early 2000s was probably caused by Clinton balancing the budget. I don't know if you've heard or read that. Yeah, And so here, okay, Biden's spending so much time being proud of the fact that he's trying to get the deficit down. It's probably going to lead to a recession. Again, Jonathan can explain better than I can. Yeah, what you know? What Karen? Could I bring you up as a speaker, and then we can bring Jonathan That's on and, and talk about yeah. this a little we bit? Can Would that be cool? Interrogate him. That sounds wonderful. Yes. Kind. Let's thank interrogate you. his mind. Yes. Thank you. And Prepare Jenny, thank yourself, you for still Jonathan. being on too. Jenny, think, Jenny, yeah. it's really sweet of you to still be on. Yeah, I appreciate that too. 
All right, I'm going to invite you to speak, and then let's let's talk to Jonathan and see if we can get to the bottom of this. Okay. Uh, you're invited to speak. I just sent you the invite. Okay, perfect. Oh, yes, and not even a break in all those nice crickets that we're hearing. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. you, you always have the best soundscapes I every do. time you call or in. Or they're cicadas, <laughs> yeah. I guess. It's cicadas. Oh, cicadas, yeah. yeah. Jonathan, what's going on? Thanks for calling in. Oh, a little of this and a little of that. I hope my uh, Bluetooth doesn't run out of batteries on me. I can't really check right now and see how much I got left. But, uh, yeah, like I uh, I actually uh, I wrote an, an, uh, an article, I think, back in January. It's on the RP website called uh, National Debt and Other Red Herrings that, uh, that basically kind of goes into a lot of what she was talking about. Even the government spending... Uh, you know, isn't necessarily the way it's portrayed. Like a lot of us were taught really bad economics uh, and that's been done. Like I think the, the big pioneer in teaching bad economics was Larry Summers' uncle, Paul Samuelson, uh, who basically sanitized Keynes for the uh, McCarthy era and took out all the good stuff. Uh, but they like the model was to teach us this very simplistic model um, of the way uh, the macro economy works, and it's it's extremely it's wrong and it's, it's it's extremely misleading. And so, like a lot of these people that think, oh, the government spent too much money that causes inflation, like they think the money that the government spends goes into one big pot from which everybody takes. But if that were the case, I think we'd all be a lot more prosperous than we are. Uh, the government mostly gives that money directly to. Uh, certain people, and only a tiny, tiny percentage of that ever trickles down to ordinary people into the transactional money supply, which is, you know, represents like about an eighth of the total money supply. And uh, that is a very, very leaky bathtub. Like, basically, you've got all of these um, economic rentiers, like these uh, essentially parasites, that are simply siphoning money off of all of us. And intuitively, we all know this because we all have had the experience of getting a paycheck and being like, oh, look how much money I have. And then you realize once you pay off all your bills, only a tiny bit of yeah. it's left. Yeah. And the yeah. government yeah. is not the only entity that siphons money out of the productive economy. And, sure. uh, you know, the same is true of uh, that money that, you know, the government, Karen is right, the government absolutely does not need you to pay it back the tokens it created out of thin air. Those tokens are also, by and large, not floating around the economy. They are sitting in a university trust fund. Mm. All right. Uh, universities, uh, I think, uh, you know, Devarian Baldwin, who's a, a professor at, I uh, can't remember which university in Connecticut, but, uh, you know, he basically uh, wrote a book about this phenomenon, how basically a lot of these colleges have become hedge funds with wallets. Like they have major real estate investments. They have large endowment accounts. They have... Uh, massive investments. Harvard is one of the worst. Uh, like they have billions and billions in, uh, you know, it's essentially a hedge fund. So sure. these yeah, things are yeah, not, yeah, sure. that money is not in any part of the economy. Only that tiny portion, portion, the transactional part of the economy can ever chase scarce goods and services. Okay. So, so, uh, so you're you talking know, about like, just, just sorry, just a for my my smooth 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 brain so this is like money that is not really liquid and out there that's actually circulating in the economy right so as far as its ability to actually buy or sell things it's it's not it's since it's theoretical sitting in some theoretical account somewhere it's it's almost as if 
like it exists symbolically in a way, right? As far yeah, as it, it doesn't, yeah, it, yeah, it, it like that's exactly right. It's it's basically not doing any harm as long as it's not moving around. Unfortunately, well, it is doing some harms in the structural right. sense because you right, have right. this massive. It's the difference between the wealth demand for money and the transactional demand for money. And essentially, there's this massive, massive accumulation of wealth at the very tippy top that we're all so familiar with because Bernie talks about it all the time. But, uh, you know, essentially, like, that's where a lot of this stuff is being siphoned out of the transactional economy, too. And the main way it gets back in is by government spending. And, you know, as Karen also said, if too much of it is siphoned out and, you know, the government doesn't refill that bathtub, the only place people can go to meet a lot of their basic needs. And we're not talking about big screen TVs. We're talking about paying rent, paying bills. You know, your car breaks down, you need a new one or you can't get the work in a city like Houston or L.A. Um, You know, that's uh, you know, these are things people need rather than things they want. And so there is a minimum uh, at which they can spend. The only place they can go is bank credit and payday lenders. And that mm. creates massive bubbles. Yeah, because and, that's you know, another even, sort of siphoning thing, right? Yes. They, they essentially take off. It's the same type of behavior we were talking about before. Uh, essentially taking off chunks from that paycheck that you're not ever actually seeing. So it's a, another right. form of that behavior. Yeah. And it's not going to productive resources. And the important right. thing in any economy that keeps an economy moving, growing, and actually doing what it's supposed to do is productive resources. So the more money is siphoned off out of the productive economy and into uh, either people's bank accounts or the speculative economy, the more, uh, you know, eventually that's that's unsustainable. It's a bubble that has to burst. And usually it bursts in a recession or a depression. And, uh, you know, in any case, like when she's because she's uh, her big issue is the uh, I know the uh, the student loan thing. Well, like what a lot of these like old school kind of, uh, you know, people that were trained by Samuelson's textbook on Keynesianism. okay, like Paul Krugman uh, keep asserting is, well, it'll cause inflation if these people have, you know, that one thousand extra a month in their pocket to spend. And it has big. If you give that homeless man a dollar, he's only going to spend it on booze energy because what you're really preventing by forcing these people to pay a completely unnecessary debt with, of all things, like the most offensive part of it is that they're actually charging interest on it. Like the government doesn't even need you to pay it back. Why would it charge interest? Like they're, they're charging interest on it. And what it's really doing is preventing a whole generation of young professionals from building wealth. And you see that. Jonathan, compounded interest. (laughs) And you can see that in places like Austria, you know, at various points in its history where, uh, you know, it had various programs that allowed people to have more money in their pocket. What they did was mostly, you know, once they had their basic needs met, they saved it. Okay. They saved it. They did not all spend it at once. Even if they did, okay, like demand uh, push inflation corrects itself very quickly. And that's another thing that Larry Summers keeps banging on about. Oh, that stimulus check we got a year ago is causing inflation. No, that money was gone. It was siphoned out of that leaky bathtub ages ago. Okay, that kind of from that end of the economy, okay, inflation corrects itself in a matter of weeks. Like that kind of price hike like will go back down over the course of several weeks. Like that money was the Christmas shopping season and that's it.
Hmm. That's where that last check was. So, yeah, that was it. Like, it's gone. It's been gone for ages. And, you know, basically the survey show, which I also cited in my article, that most of those people spent it on basic necessities like rent, food, gas, bills. Okay, they didn't go buy big screen TVs. If you look at the inflation numbers, like big screen TVs are actually down. Okay, it's gasoline and need-its that are up, not want-its. And that kind of... yeah. That brings us to the most important part of it, which is, uh, you know, the the word to remember or the phrase, I should say, is price inelasticity of demand. That price elasticity of demand is the degree to which a price changes in response to demand, right? So demand goes down, the price drops, demand goes up, the price goes up. Theoretically, the degree to which something responds to that is the elasticity, right? Like, now there are certain things that you need that you don't have a choice whether to buy or not, like healthcare, that are totally price inelastic. Uh, and right. that's what you were talking about with the pharmaceuticals, okay? The drug right. Sovaldi, right. which is a hepatitis B treatment, okay? Mm-hmm. The pharmaceutical manufacturer, which, by the way, was based on a patent funded by the U.S. government, oh okay? My God. They decided they were going to charge as high as the market will bear. And what they essentially did was they had an incentive to uh, do the economic equivalent of putting a gun to people's head and say, your money or your life. Right. That's what they have an incentive to do with that when something is totally price inelastic. You need it whether it costs $8 or 80000 or 800000 or you will right. die. Okay. Now, there's yeah. very few things are as totally price inelastic as that. But things like food, if you don't eat, you're going to get sick and you're going to die. Okay. You don't have gasoline, you're not going to get to work, you're not going to make money, and then you're going to be hungry and you're going to be homeless, okay? You don't pay your rent, you're going to be homeless in the extreme heat of the summer or floods or the cold winter, depending on where you live, if it even gets cold, because last Christmas here in Houston, it was in the 70s. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you, like, these are needed. They have a demand floor, it can't go below. You need it whether it costs $5 or $50. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Those things, like the only thing, the only way to control it is on the supply end. You have to make sure people have what they need to live. Anyway. Yeah. So. Okay. I'm trying to think. So. Would. So I'm a little, okay. the, 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 The thing I'm trying to. I'm trying to connect this specifically to the, not necessarily the concept of inelasticity or how elastic something is, uh, but this conversation to loop it back into with the student loan debt conversation. Why is it then, I guess, when, when you have an industry like the healthcare industry that has the ability to charge these exorbitant prices because you don't have a choice and you have a government that is refusing to make this decision to make or to forgive debts that essentially it doesn't even need to collect on. Why, why is it, or why, why don't, why is there not pressure to change both of those industries from the people who are, bearing the brunt of both of those things. And what is the incentive then for the the government to continue to 
fail to, uh, I guess, forgive those loans? Like, why? Why is it? Like, why is there so much? That's a comp- yeah. That's a complicated. I've got a thought. By yeah, I know like you do. Hear it? Yeah. Would you go like for it. to yeah, hear go it? For it? Yes, I would. Our I would very much. Delightful like president <clears throat> is from the state of Delaware, mm-hmm. and guess what is one of the really most prominent industries in the state of Delaware? Loan servicing, Navient, which is my okay. student loan servicer, um, is MBNA. headquartered <laughs> in mm. Delaware. And if you go to, oh gosh, there are different websites where you can see different senators, politicians who've received money from different corporations. I forget what that website is, but tons. Oh, of our... um, Ballotpedia. Is that it? Ballotpedia, but there's also another one too. Open Secrets. Un- un- Open, okay, Open Secrets. Secrets. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Go and look at the people who've received money from various corporations that service student loans. Um, I, that's my thought. I, I believe that he's in the pocket of some of these organizations. Joe Biden was um, one of the people, I don't remember, in the mid-2000s who pushed for that bankruptcy reform legislation, and I forget what all that it was. Yeah, they made it, they made it impossible to discharge debt in bankruptcy, yeah. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Because so, it honestly. used to be that student loans could at least just get bankruptcy pr- protection like any other kind of loan. Mm-hmm. But they intentionally sought out student loans and said, nope, nope, not protected like everything else. Um, you know, and again, it's so funny because a student loan debt is something you acquire because you want to become a productive citizen. You want right. to make money. Doesn't that contribute to our GDP? Doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, don't we need lawyers bide i mean maybe we don't need as many as we i mean we have we need I bide but we don't need all the others <laughs> right yeah. we need obgyns sometimes yeah, sure. except in jenny's position when she's right we need like mid midwives and and you know but sometimes we need people at a hospital ready to handle you know an emergency whatever my state sure. does not have enough obgyns we don't have enough psychiatrists we don't have enough just even licensed mental health professionals and those people yeah, require degrees. We don't have enough of the shit we need. I now have a, we have a teacher shortage in my state. My son now has these huge school or huge classes his final year at high school because if they don't have enough teachers, those people need degrees. Don't, isn't it good for people to have degrees? I don't know. I mean, know. it should be. In, in any, yeah, in so any... Theoretically, it improves their productivity, which is counterinflationary. <laughs> Then also, I should add, uh, you know, the supply of doctors is kept artificial, artificially scarce by the AMA, which is the main licensing body for physicians in the United States. Like, so we, we literally outsource the licensing of our physicians to a private body with private yeah. interests uh, yeah. and a financial interest in keeping it the way it is. Their Canadian equivalent basically launched a doctor's strike in the 80s to prevent Canadian Medicare from uh, becoming, in essence, the, the system that it is today. Um, and they essentially had to import Cuban scabs to fill those spots. So this is um, like the supply of, of doctors is certainly a the kind of supply constraint that could at least, you know, theoretically, uh, you know, if you just 
suddenly, if we suddenly went to Medicare for all right now, might cause a slight inflationary problem because there's okay. too few of them and too many people that need them. But oh, um, yeah, yeah. theoretically, that's why uh, MMT advocates uh, advocate a transition, uh, you know, certainly a removal of those uh, those constraints on the, you know, retaking the licensing of doctors from the AMA, okay, licensing more medical schools, training more doctors, and, uh, you know, increasing the supply of doctors and the distribution around the country. Um, hold on, I think I am going to have to change Bluetooths. Okay. But the, uh, I don't know if you can still hear me. I can, yeah, I can. Uh, so yeah, supply constraints are a problem. Product productivity is something essentially college education does, especially in countries like all over the world where it's provided for free. Right. Okay. Right. And there it is. Yeah. Okay. That's good. better. Hey. Yeah. So. What's that yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No. College education provides productivity increases theoretically. Uh, those debts, like the massive debt that those students are saddled with, uh, siphons that productivity away. And it basically redistributes it upwards. And that's, you know, a huge part of, of the issue with the way our system is structured. And yeah. some of it is yeah. certainly bad actors, like Karen said, uh, with respect to Joe Biden, uh, people with a financial interest, and so on and so forth. A big chunk of it is uh, status quo bias. Uh, and the fact that uh, people just don't understand and uh, there's a lot of mess to wade through and the people that benefit from the current system do their best to uh, misdirect people's attention away from uh, looking at what's hiding in plain sight but buried in a whole bunch of Byzantine complexity, including, you know, this Byzantine student loan system we have you know, FAFSA, everything has to be filled out in triplicate, you've got bank servicers, you know, this this whole Rube Goldberg machine that they've set up in terms of a, you know, quote-unquote public-private public partnership, which is really, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, of setup basically just designed to attach leeches to siphon, you know, money and productivity out of the people that can really least afford it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ultimately... If the government just decided, you know, just like with Medicare for all, okay, we're going to pay you this for college education. The price is the price, eat it or starve. Okay. All of a sudden now the government can set, you know, using a transparent formula, a fair market price for these sorts of things. And, um, you know, universities can stay in business. They may not get to be hedge funds anymore. Okay. But they would certainly have enough to pay their people and especially the public ones. I mean, come on, like the government can afford to do it. And in no way, shape or form would these kinds of monies that are circulating, you know, largely amongst people, um, you know, amongst these, you know, this area to, to um, you know, just keep things running at a university that are already running, right. um, you know, in no way, shape or form would that drive up, you know, inflation or cause any kind of macroeconomic problems. In fact, the, there would be a massive increase in economic efficiency. You might actually see deflation, which too much of that is not good right. either. But right. just from the elimination of all the non-productive waste 
and parasitical uh, servicing right. elements of the yeah. economy, those still do provide jobs with paychecks. So right. that yeah. taking all of those away would also, uh, you know, would actually create deflationary pressure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I do think, I mean, look, not, not, not only can like the government afford to do it uh, and can, you know, not only can we afford to do it, I don't think we can afford not to, honestly. I mean, we are, I, it, this is the thing that always gets me with, with these types of conversations too. What do you think happens when your entire population is priced out of universities? and can't get certain jobs. And now we have certain industries which we can't fill certain, I mean, what, how do you feel like this is gonna work out well for the well-being of your, I guess your nation over time? Like, it's just, it's impossible. Like it's, 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 I mean, people are always talking shit about China, everything. They are fucking us up. And for a lot more reasons than just, you know, the fact that they are invested in it, they they invest in an actual future for China, which is, you know, what a concept. But a little planning of, goes a long way. Yeah, honestly, you know, this long term planning shit is something that we have not been doing for a, a long time. And it shows and it's 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 one of those things that like this can't this shouldn't be certain issues. I'm so just disheartened that they've become politicized things like education for your citizens like increasing the ability for your country to have enough people to do dope shit like that's something that shouldn't even be like yes of course like do we want to get to star trek or not really it's where do we think the end point of this future is look there is no future with all of our students who are either taking jobs where you know, they're like me, where they're taking jobs where, okay, they're just chasing the money because that's where the industry needs you to pay back your student loans. Or they can't take any job. They're, they're, they're effectively priced out from ever doing anything innovative because they're, they're stuck with this, you know, the student loan debt and they're working in a restaurant, which again, all work is good work. People should, you know, like, I'm not knocking the work of the restaurant. I'm knocking the fact that, like, they're stuck in the loop. They're stuck, right? Effectively been made stuck by uh, really no fault of their own. Like, how do you think, if those are the only two jobs that exist, are jobs where you're increasing the profits for already profitable people, or you're just in the restaurant serving these profitable people and kept in constant debt so that you can never actually own or do anything like where does that lead you like let's just take that logically like where does that wind where do all people wind up by going through that system that's czar nicholas in the Rome dynasty yeah yes that's exactly right you get back to uh like a feudalist society basically like that's the future if if we keep going on this uh, this path that we're on, you know, where we, well, we, that's not fair. In feudalist societies, they basically took care of their people. Like the feudal, give the feudalist true, society right? a little credit. Yeah. They, they <laughs> did better than we're doing now. You know, looking at where we're at right now, the Lords weren't that bad, you know, I'll take, I'll, you know, whatever. But you know, the, the jokes aside, the, 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 um, 
I know that's it's even debatable as to how much of a joke that actually is, right? But like the the uh, while that's happening, right? All these people too, like whenever I hear this kind of like America first rhetoric, and when that's happening, when we're constantly being put into that situation with no long term planning for our future. Meanwhile, while we're doing that, China is just fucking lapping us. And here's the look, I don't got I'm not trying to say China shouldn't be prosperous or anything like that. Or, you know, I'm just a little jelly of how. How good they're doing over there. <laughs> I'm not, it's not even the joke. I mean, the real thing is really like I, I think the one thing that is always kind of the one pause I have with places like China is I do worry to the extent that. You know, whenever you have power, the the dominant sort of culture of that power and the dominant sort of uh, uh, structure of that power imposed on everyone. We see it right now with the U.S. and U.S. Uh, you know hegemon or I always fuck up that word hegemony he- homogeny hegemony hegemony. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Hegemony. Um, you see it with like the influence of how we are kind of like an imperialist power in the world, right? With a lot of the militarization of a lot of different other countries with, with even things like NATO expansion and, uh, you know, the degree to which a lot of the world, including like, you know, a lot of Europe sort of capitulates to what we do, right? There are some disadvantages to someone else taking that mantle. I'm not saying that we should have it, but I'm not saying anyone should have it, really. Um, but when I think about things like, okay, so if, if that's, if that's the end of America, right. If we could just keep going down that road where we're not investing in our future or anything, you know, if China doesn't ever, you know, if they say, well, we don't really believe gay people should have rights or that's not a thing here. I do worry about that. Right. Cause for as much shit as I'm giving America and as much shit as it deserves, I do think there are some things that are good. You know, like I do think that I don't know, being able to just choose who you want to be with is a good thing. Like, that's a human right, right? Like, that's a right that should exist without, like, any government having to say yes or no to it. And I know that we're not exactly, look, we just got that right, and we're also kind of on a path to go backwards with it, so maybe not the best time to bring it up with this, you know, this Dobbs ruling, but still, that is something I worry about, you know? Like, and I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud a bit. It's just, you know, we, I wish people understood that we can't afford not to invest or, or to we, really, we can't afford not to cancel student debt. We can't afford not to like create high um, value educational opportunities for people. Like we need, you need that as we go forward. There's no, I mean, like, what else do we have if we don't have it? I mean, and most other developed or even underdeveloped countries uh, already understand that. And this is a thing that they uh, largely provide either for free or for very low cost. Um, cool. And, you know, Finland, France, Germany, like all of these countries, like the the limitation is what college you can get into. Cost no longer becomes an option you know, an issue after that that point. And, you know, you're right. Like, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I do love about MMT is the inevitable conclusion of it is 
why would you not? Just take yes for an answer. And uh, it always baffles me because, like, within the MMT community, like, not everybody is actually leftist. Like, there's some people in there with really good economics and really terrible politics. And I'm always like, how do you hold those two things in your head at once? But evidently they do because, like, they compartmentalize. But yeah. it is a thing. Like, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, take yes for an answer. You can't afford not to. Like, honestly, I don't think that there's much worry, like, in, uh, you know, what you're saying about China supplanting us. I think these claims are overblown. Like, our economy yeah, is bigger than probably. the next five most powerful combined. And, like, at no point will it never – the U.S. dollar never – you know, it will never not become – a medium of exchange or the numeraire, which makes it kind of the, uh, you know, the, a valuable reserve currency. If we have to share it with other people, it will affect our domestic economy almost not at all. In our, our import economy and our foreign economy, uh, it will become more expensive to have military bases overseas. Oh, no, I'm crying on the inside. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, look, so, I, I think the yeah. thing that I worry about with that, though, is that um, if it becomes more expensive for our military bases overseas, that somehow America is going to, like, double down on that shit and become more militaristic. For oh, some, no, like, now you're not, You know, like... Now uh, you're, maybe, you're, you're killing my buzz. I'm sorry. I just feel like... I feel like we just have a history of sort of, like, once we feel... You know, it's kind of like the guy in school who was always like, you know, what'd you say to me? The, the person with the most fragile sense of like self who just has to use size and stuff to intimidate somebody, right? Like there's, when, when that starts to change, you know, when high school's over and, oh, you didn't get the big scholarship to football university. I'm sorry about that. That you see, you see sort of almost a doubling down on like the, the wearing of the Leatherman's jacket and the sort of like, the confrontational nature of something, right? And I think America's kind of like that. And I, I've already seen, like, signs of certain people, certain, like, not just people, but, like, uh, or not, not just, like, I don't mean, like, everyday people, but certain political commentators and stuff who are saying that, too. And I know that some of my fear of China taking over is, like, part of that, you know? But I don't know. I just don't... Like, I, yeah, I don't think you need to worry about China taking over, although that other thing you were talking about, like, if mm -hmm. all other things stay the same, yes, mm -hmm. it's a problem. But you kind of touched yeah. on it earlier, like, the issue is, and what China's doing that we're not and should be, uh, is a lot more economic planning, okay? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a totally planned economy, but you have to do some planning, okay? You have to know where it's better for the government to intervene or even take over, uh, and where it's better to you know, with want it's rather than need it's like markets, let markets flourish. But, yeah. uh, you know, there's, you know, some kind of like market socialism. But, uh, you know, with uh, need it's, you know, with basic necessities, housing and things like that, like I, you know, would love, for example, like Austrian style public housing around here. Like that yeah. would just be like that would change everything, including that confrontational nature. You'd be surprised how much less belligerent or even tolerant for belligerents people get when their basic needs are met, okay? When people have a True. nice life, when they have something to lose, when they have a nice place to live, they don't have I mean, to worry about true. eating, you know. Yeah. 
So yeah, that kind of like these like these kinds of planning can solve everything. But the opposite, I think we all saw really crystal clearly during you know the COVID pandemic. Okay, we all had seen these movies in the '90s and early 2000s, like Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman, and and uh, uh, have you seen that one? I haven't. No, but it's, it it's, sounds like it's on yeah, my watch was, list now. Yeah, no, it was like it was a fun movie, but like essentially, like the whole thing was, you know, an ex-husband and wife team. One, you know, one works for the for the CIA, for the uh, for the CDC, and the other works for you know USAMRI, U.S. Army Medical Research Division. Uh, and basically, like these two government agencies are elbowing themselves to, you know, elbowing each other out of the way to be like, you know, to handle a pandemic and be like, I got this with my fancy equipment and high end labs, set, mobile lab set up and shit like that. Like, I got this. No, I got this. No, I got this. No, this is my disease pandemic site. We're going to handle the shit out of this. And like the right. delusion was created in the public consciousness that you've got all of these government experts just, you know, waiting on tenterhooks for the call to action and they're just going to handle the shit out of everything because we got the best of the best of the best here. And like, <laughs> right. then this right. thing hits and like, you start to realize, oh my God, we're on our own. Like, I'm an EMT. Yeah. I was neck deep in this shit the whole time. Like, at a certain point, it really hit us. Nobody's coming to save us. We're it. We're on our own. And, like, you start to realize in the government that, you know, we were sold a bill of goods is, you know, like, everything's handled, you know, government's prepared for anything, and, uh, you know, any emergency, blah, 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 blah. The engine's running, but there's nobody behind the wheel. Like, there's no planning at all. And this is what happens when you leave this stuff alone. You go too long without checking under the hood. Uh, you used to see like all kinds of rot. You've got all of these economic parasites that have gotten in there and, you know, just eaten out the guts of the, of the engine and corroded everything. And, um, that's where we're at right now. And that's why the, you know, the Chinese are, are spanking us at everything and making us look bad because we are, we didn't start out that way, but we got that way. Yeah, it's a lot easier to look bad whenever you're you are bad. Like whenever you're yeah. making yourself look bad, right? Um, God, well, that's part of how we got into trouble recently. You know, it's uh, you know, it's not like I like saying this, but you know, hey, if Marjorie Taylor Greene is right about defunding the FBI. Hey, FBI does bad shit. You know what? There's no point denying that uh, she's right about that, or. You know, there, there are things that we're pointing out. Yeah, it's not saying we like it, but there's no yeah. sense pretending that uh, we don't look bad because we are bad. I, I think I think that's that's correct. I, I think uh, one of the things that I do, well, you know, with with people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, too. I here's kind of uh, so I agree with Bree on that 100 percent. Right. The the. The thing that I'm worried about is that there is a communications sort of method to using that to sort of find common cause and to just call out the true things when it's true. And I think that's correct. What I'm seeing is a lot of the times now, the America is bad has become so associated with certain people or certain representations of things that aren't actually attacking the problem. And 
they're so polarized to the point to where as soon as you say that, as soon as you associate with one person or you say someone's name, people don't even click in. They don't even look. They don't they don't actually get to examine the actual reason or the, the words that are being said from the person that make, you know, the correct words that are being said. They're just attacking the person now. Right. It's 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 the same thing that happens with Donald Trump. You know, every time you bring up Trump and certain liberal circles, people just lose their fucking minds. And every time you go yep. to certain conservative circles and you bring up like AOC for some reason, people just go nuts. And it's like, dude, how about like no one is a fucking God here. Right. Like we're not we're talking about we sh- we're talking about policy. Okay. Well, let's let's policy. talk about how how Chain the other day like reacted to uh, the mention of the gray zone guys. Yeah, he's like like he's he lost his shit. Yeah, and so and 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 I've seen clips of like gray zone people losing their shit. I've seen clips of like Jimmy Dore attacking YouTube creators as like CIA agents or something like that. And I'm like, dude, yeah, can't we? He was like, off what the, rails. the fuck yeah. are we talking about? Like, what the fuck are we all talking about? Like, maybe, like, and, and I, you know, I don't go deep enough into that rabbit hole to know who's a CIA agent or not. But all of, like, the degree to which, like, there are so many people who are just attacking people and personalities as if that is not a symptom of the, you know, the fact that even these personalities have risen to prominence is not, like, a symptom of systemic rot as opposed to, like, these evil little, you know, goblins and goons that are, you know, coming out of the woodwork. It's, like, so crazy to me. It's like, dude, like, it's... It, that's not how you fix it. And I think a reason a lot of people give up sometimes, too, is because they were too attached to those personalities and people, and it's easy... I don't know. I don't know. It's, like, easy to think that the world is run by evil people instead of, like, people with really evil incentives who are doing things. You know what I mean? Like, like, does that does that make? Am I making sense, people? Yeah, it's kind of, okay. like it's an old problem. It's an old problem that you yeah. see all throughout history, more or less. It's a very human problem, and like yeah. I spent a lot of time, uh, you know, delving into uh, psychology, particularly the psychology of cults and brainwashing and oh, yeah, propaganda. Like I went down these, uh, like these really deep down these rabbit holes. And, you know, one of the things you start to understand, it actually improved my relationship with my right-wing relatives quite a bit because I started to realize, like, a lot of these horrible opinions they hold are not because they're inherently evil. Um, It's, like, many of these are natural reactions to, um, you know, very anxiety-producing stimuli. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's not these people's fault that they have really terrible politics. Uh, and, you know, it's how they're exposed to the good politics can sometimes be, uh, you know, a tricky, a tricky thing, you know, tricky balance to to reach. And what you're talking about, like where people shut down and they won't even hear the other one. Like that's, you know, that's because basically that's the brain protecting themselves from uh, right. the psychological right. equivalent of trauma. And like. Right. When these people are, you know, just nakedly exposed to lots and lots of that kind of psychological trauma, they absolutely do get symptoms of PTSD. Like, oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, it can really damage people. Like, if they are uh, given a shock, like if they were to realize, yeah. like their like their fundamental core beliefs 
were wrong, like it can, like it can break people. Like it can really, like it can cause serious, serious yeah. issues. See, that that's that's why I stopped a while back identifying myself by a political party or by any of that. Like fuck all that. Like if if you've been a conservative your whole life. And I'm like, or a Democrat your whole life. And you're like, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. And you see these politicians who continually take more and more and more from you and give it to richer and richer corporations to which, to which, you know, when you see that cycle happening, but you can't disassociate yourself from the identity that you sort of, the, the thing you've built your identity on. Oh, I'm a Democrat. I'm a conservative. You, you start to just stop looking at truth because you have to. And it's not even like, I don't even think it's an intentional thing, Jonathan. It's just people are, like you said, it's that protectionist element that we kind of have. You know, you want to, you want to be all right. And the cognitive dissonance that can be created by saying, by even disassociating yourself with like a party or a part of your identity can be really you know, really psychologically traumatizing in a real way. And, and, you know, it's one of the reasons why I think it's always funny whenever I see, like, one of the ways that people tend to describe themselves on either Twitter or on, I don't know, social media is like a selection of, like, words that are just categories, you know, like wife, mother, patriot, stuff like that. Like, what the fuck does any of this even mean, you know? Like, like, and I don't mean that in, like, a bad way to make fun of them or anything like that that like these things are yes you you can be a wife you can be a mother these can be super important to your like identity but they're not you like these things aren't right. you you existed before you were a mother and a wife you existed before like these these things are like manifestations of your own essence do you know what i mean like the essence is deeper than that the, the yeah i think there's a lot there, of people that haven't yeah there's a lot of people that haven't taken the trouble to get to know themselves. And that, that to me is really sad because like a lot of these people yeah. that haven't taken the trouble to get to know themselves, like I can tell right away they're nice people and they really should yeah. give themselves a chance. But well, I, yeah, I, I that's got, part I of it. Be I've been, too. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I, you know, I, the, the getting to know yourself part too is I do believe for a lot of people somewhat of a luxury. Because, you know, it's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And I don't mean that in a way that, like, people shouldn't do that. Like, people should absolutely try to get to know themselves, like, and their essence. But, you know, when I was way younger and stuff, or when people I know who were struggling with, okay, I have to find the next meal. You know, I have to find the next, I have to find a place to live. Uh, They don't, you know, those immediate needs survive comes first right so you'll see these people who are unable to sort of ask questions i mean look i i think there's a reason why like rates of depression and sort of these more existential questions come up more as people uh kind of move up that hierarchy of needs right like the the idea of self-actualization becomes a little i don't know a, a little more available to people who don't have to worry about those immediate needs that they have, right? So yeah, it's that's like, true. There's actually quite a bit of psychological literature on that. There's a guy yeah. called Sinhil Mullen Nathan who wrote a book called Scarcity 
why having so little means so much. And it's yeah. not just about money either. It's also about time. And, yeah. you know, scarcity of anything actually does uh, create those kinds of phenomena that you're describing. And actually, you know, studies were actually done where you had actual middle-class people uh, that volunteered to be part of an experiment where they were forced to live on basically half of, uh, of you know, basically below the poverty line. And yeah. uh, for, uh, for about three months or something like that, their IQs literally dropped 20 points. Holy shit. In certain, Holy uh, shit. Not permanently. Like, obviously, yeah. it comes back. But that's one of the reasons, like, I also don't put much stock in IQ as any kind of fixed uh, measure of intelligence. Because, yeah. like, it, it can wait so wildly uh, yeah. throughout one's life, depending on circumstances. But essentially, uh, you know, these people also exhibited certain uh, psychological traits that uh, they collectively refer to as tunnel. So their focus is very narrow, like a horse with blinders on, on what's yeah. in front of them, and their like their entire brain is essentially filled with, how am I going to eat? How am I going to pay my rent? Yeah. How am I going to survive? How am I going to make yeah. the next paycheck? And you know they they often attribute those kinds of factors to why um, you know people will you know because they feel like they're faced with no other option will go to the payday lender over and over and over again even though they're getting themselves into a massive debt trap that they could never, ever possibly get out of. And yeah. uh, it's that immediate, like, yeah. you have to solve the problem before you can think a little longer term. And tunneling absolutely does that to people. So, yeah, your, your intuition is, is absolutely correct. Yeah. <sighs> well, I'm glad we talked about the raid on Trump's. <laughs> Sorry, but it's, it's, blame Karen. She called me in I here. No, this was. This I missed was the good. part about the raid in the I beginning. That hey, I'm I'm anti FBI. So hey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. This is yeah. this is what I love about this app too. Is is you know like I really you know what I I would love Jonathan too if you'd be so kind too to send me some of the I know the article that you wrote about the common debunks for the student debt crisis or the common, common kind of like red herrings. And then, you know, just some materials. Now now this is something I really want to study and really like understand a lot more. I don't know. Well, actually, you know, like on a deeper level. the funny thing is some of our, some of our, uh, you know, MMT experts are not econo PhD economists at all. They're lawyers. Like money is fundamentally a creature of law. It's of the state. It's a creation of the state. Yeah. So some of our best experts are people like Bob Hockett over at Cornell Law, and uh, I forget where Rohan Gray teaches, but he's a good buddy of uh, of Stephanie Kelton's. That's who he who she brought on to John Stewart with her. Um, Interesting. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. These are like these are actually lawyers, so there there actually is space for somebody with your uh, educational background to to dive right into it if you're so inclined. But I yes. can certainly like my little my little basic primers are. Uh, I'm happy. You want me to put them in the chat? Yeah, or or if you want to, uh, yeah, put them in the chat would be great. And if you want to send them in like a um, uh, direct message to me too, that would be excellent. Um, I would love to 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 read them and educate my smooth smooth brain. <laughs> nice and smooth, baby. <laughs> We're keeping it smooth over here. Okay. Um, Karen, you got any any final thoughts, Jonathan? Is your mom thoughts? so proud of you, Bide? You know, you're just, I, you're a oh. sweetheart. You've got, 
She's still in the, she's still listening, isn't she? Yeah. yeah she You're, is. a good guy. A... <laughs> You're a good guy. You raised you Oh, right. thanks. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, they did, they did a good job. They did a good job. There's been a lot yeah. of bumps along the way for me in, in getting to where I'm at, but, uh, you know, we got here. We got here. Yeah. Shout out to the mom. Shout out, mama. <laughs> All the moms. Thank you for my smooth, smooth brain, mom. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, Jonathan, any any final thoughts? Anything you want to say? Yeah, not really. I'm just looking for my, like, I'm looking for the link so I can paste them. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, um, I guess I can talk for a little bit longer and then we can get the links because I'm sure there are plenty of people in the chat who'd like that too. Thank you so much for calling in though and, and giving giving us all of those insights. I mean, there's, I'm always blown away by how there are people, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I believe in like community and collectivism pretty heavily is because, you know, you, no one man can have all that power. Like no one person can do it all, can know it all. I think we're kind of fed that narrative in America that like, oh, everyone is somehow like a, the, the real changers of society and the movers and shakers are individuals who know everything and are good at everything. And then you look at Elon Musk and you're like, well, he's, he does a lot of really stupid shit, right? Like, I'm not saying he's not smart, but like, he's kind of a fucking idiot too. And it's, it's really the collective ability of all of us to learn individually, to figure things out and then come together and bring our knowledge together, which makes us such a dominant force on the planet. And then maybe in the universe, Hey baby, we're going to go out there. It's kind of funny. I wrote an article about that too. Hold oh, on, really? here it is. Hey. Psychology of Collective Solutions. Basically, like, the human brain is limited. Uh, if you want my final thought here, here it is. Yeah, the, the human brain has certain core limitations, and if you understand these, you're going to understand a lot about human nature. One is the attentional bandwidth limitation. Okay, the human, the conscious mind can only focus on one thing at a time. When you are... Uh, multitasking, you're actually task switching rapidly. You are not actually focusing on more than one thing at once. Uh, the rest are kind of like automatic processes. So that bandwidth limitation uh, is, you know, that's something that's, uh, you know, Kahneman and Tversky uh, in particular, uh, you know, very, very famous psychologists have done a lot of work on. The other and more important one is the energy bandwidth and your higher brain functions, your conscious thought. The mind we're using to talk to each other uh, is a very resource-intensive, uh, higher brain function, and your brain is naturally designed to conserve energy. It is physically impossible for one poor person to know everything because the conscious mind consumes its fuel, glutamate, uh, at a faster rate than you know your brain can uh, reconstruct it from its substrate. So. Huh. Uh, in essence, your brain is designed to essentially like shut down once its fuel is exhausted. Uh, you know, you get cranky, you get uh, you know a little little irritable at first. Yeah. Like it can actually that kind of trauma we were talking about earlier yeah. is what can happen in the late stage if you don't do what you have to do to conserve energy. Like one of the ways we conserve energy is trust. Okay, yeah. we outsource discernment. Discernment. Uh, skepticism, all of that stuff, those are resource-intensive higher brain functions. Sure. Okay, your brain can't do it all the time. There is no one person that can know everything, which is why, you know, legalese, okay, like, uh, you know, the end-user license yeah. agreements, oh all God. of those things, yes. uh, you know, those are things that are designed to exhaust people's fuel 
And, uh, you know, essentially, you can hide things in plain sight and few enough people will get at them uh, to make any difference. And yeah. those kinds of things, like, that's why we need each other. That's why we yeah. have to have community, because together we can pool those cognitive resources and cover those things. And, you know, one of the, the things that, you know, always makes me feel better is, you know, we all have been in Brianna Joy Gray's uh, call-in uh, before, and that's really where we met each other anyway. And yeah. I have made more awesome friends that were really smart people that know all the stuff that I don't, and it helped me fill in the gaps than pretty much any other community that I've encountered in probably the last 20 years since I was in college. Yeah, isn't that something? That's been pretty yeah. wild. Like, that's 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 real. I mean, like, I think one of the re- reasons I keep going back to, uh, besides Brianna being super just excellent at what she does and super just really, really good at just, like, firing off and asking the right questions immediately, which is nuts, like... If she would have stayed an attorney, she would have been insane, too. Um, she would have been excellent at it, too. But, like, I, I've met so many people from that calling who are super, like you said, super smart, very knowledgeable in certain areas of, like, history that I had no idea about. And it's, 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 it's really, it, it kind of makes you think that we, it kind of inspires me because it, it makes me think we have a lot more power than we realize because of that collective ability that we can have to sort of come together and, and coordinate um, and pull those resources, those cognitive resources. Uh, but I don't know. I've, I've, I think you've also explained why I always feel so dead and stupid after this calling. <laughs> Possibly. Yes. You know, the more, the more exercise you give your brain. Yeah. 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 It's pretty wild. Cause I, you know, I always do this after a full day of work and I'm like drinking energy drinks before I do this. I'm like, let's fucking go. I'm trying to like pump myself back up to, you know, to have the conversation and everything. But it's, it's always, I'm always uh, pumped by the conversations I have with people on here. It's always, uh, I, I always learn something and it always really makes me think. Um, and you've done the same today, Jonathan. So thank you so much for uh, likewise calling in. Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I hope, you know, hope you call in again sometime. And um, God, if I ever do like a student loan episode in particular, uh, it would be absolute fire to have you have you and Karen back and, uh, you know, giving your insights. Or healthcare, like We can do that one, too. That's not yeah, one of my that's pet true. issues. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And those are coming because you know what? Those are things that we can't stop talking about until they happen. So, uh Yes, I know. We've all heard it before, everybody, but you got to keep hearing it. It's until it happens, until it happens, baby. But yeah, uh, thank you so much, Jonathan. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, uh, everybody, I think we've discussed a lot of issues tonight, a lot of things. Um, talk about the raid. Now, I hope that I know it's not the most important thing. I, I know that, but to the extent that you're hearing about it now, maybe you, you, you've learned a little bit about how the process actually works, how this can be like a little nothing burger. Maybe it's not, maybe it is. We'll see. Um, you, I don't know, you know, a little bit more about like courts and shit, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot more thanks to Jonathan and Karen about student loans and, uh, the for-profit healthcare industry. And, uh, 
you know, I, I really appreciate everyone calling in as always. Uh, I, everyone with their different ideas and everything. Look, this is where it's good to be able to get to places where we hash it, hash it out. And, you know, it's good to also have your beliefs challenged because that's, we get to the better ideas, honestly, is we, it's, I always find it a little weird if someone feels some type of way about their belief being challenged, because I mean, like, look, we're, if there's data that challenges your belief or my belief, then that's a good indication that maybe we should change our mind, right? Like, that's always good stuff. Like, and if we're trying to get to the, I don't know, like a society that gets somewhere with the, I don't know, like the most correct answers that we can get to, if we're trying to proceed, it's good to proceed based on like truth, right? But, uh, you know, I always appreciate everyone coming out. Uh, it's been a fun one. It's been a fun one. Uh, we'll see what the topic is next week. Maybe uh, I'm going to read some of these articles that Jonathan put in, and then maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll surprise you. Or maybe we'll go back to just talking about boy stuff and girl stuff and whatever and, you know, dating and all that. Um, <laughs> do another dating episode. I can update you on all those sexy, sexy doctors. <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. All right. Uh, thank you so much for coming out, everyone. And I hope you enjoyed your stay at the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. All right. Take care.